Happy New Year! <laughs> Hopefully these are the first voices you're hearing. It's 1201, yeah. January 1st, 2022. The fireworks are still raining down upon you and you just press play on your iPod Nano because it's 2022. <laughs> you have a piece of confetti launched in your eye. You can't get it out and you can't even find your phone to call 911, but automatically Ally Meekly has started playing from Spotify because you don't know how to turn that feature off. You're still macking with some lady you just met at the docks. And here we are to welcome you into a whole new year of COVID variants. We've got, <laughs> we've got your Omicron. We've got your Delta. We've got your Vegas. We've got your Omegas. I was saying to you, this may be, we may be forced back outdoors uh, yeah. after this episode. We might. It's getting frighteningly cold. Yeah. And I'm In kind of worried senses. about between me and you. Um, <laughs> it's certainly frigid <laughs> in the relationship. We've been in the same room for an hour is the first words we've said to each other. I just turned on my laugh sound effect. I'm looking forward to driving to your apartment to record because that was a nice drive for me. I'm not looking forward to sitting outside and recording. No, it's got to start getting... Well, look, I was going to say it's got to start getting warm really fast. That's taken care of because that's another thing you got to worry about in 2022. But here's another thing. It's 2022. When we say since 2013 that oh, we've been doing shut this, up. that's nine years. Yeah, We could have gotten PhDs. Mm -hmm. We could have gotten, mm -hmm. I don't know, like 10 babies maybe. We could have gotten full-time jobs. Sometimes this is a full-time job. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, like yes, I have a full-time <laughs> job. I have what feels like three full-time jobs. And Isn't that weird? Like we, we haven't yeah. been doing this nine years, but in terms of calendar calendar years, wise it has yeah. been nine years that we've been at this yeah that's really scary this september which feels what's nine episodes no, november so, yeah that'll be really scary when we uh when we get to our anniversary we're going to be looking at our cold hard looks at each other what'd you do this year nothing what'd you do nothing. what'd you do for the past 100 episodes <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing like i always see like restaurants that say like flanagan's established yeah. 2017 <laughs> like that's not impressive to me but at a certain point yeah it's impressive. It's now. impressive. It's yeah, imp if, most impressive. If a band had been together as long as we had, they should have had a hit, or they they should break up. And they would. This is kind of what I'm telling you right now. That we oh, you want me to hit you? Is what you're, <laughs> is what you're saying? You want me Yoko? to strike you? <laughs> Did you watch the documentary? <laughs> no, I didn't. I I want to, but like carve out the time to watch a band struggle to come up with a song you already know. From what? From everything I've heard of this, it seems like someone filmed us writing an intro, yeah. and that's what it. Because we are something of the we're the biggest thing since sliced Beatles when it came. To to uh, sketch comedy on a podcast. But look, we're not here to talk about the Beatles. We're not. It's 2022, January 2022. We've got some Patreon, some new Patreon people. Ringo Starr, George. <laughs> oh, we're not here to talk about the Beatles. Okay, we can't bring them up the, then. Uh, Billy Preston. <laughs> so we've got new this month. We have Kim Morton. Hi, Kim Morton. A former member of the Beatles. That's right. We have Sergio Quirarte. Hey, how's it going, Sergio? Who is a former member of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And then we have the perfectly named patron. If all, if only all Patreon supporters could have this name. I, I told you once he joined us, we've joked about this sort of thing happening before, and it finally, the prophecy has come true. Right. We have... Daniel Gonzalez. You're kidding. <laughs> Former Our... member of the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> you might know this guy from hits like I saw you standing there. <laughs> you might know this guy from hits like he's our baby. <laughs> hey, Daniel Gonzalez. How's it going? Having the best name uh, around. The best of both worlds. The best of both worlds. That, I, someone 
please, if there is a Greg Zafrin out there, you have to support us on Patreon. Even if it's just for a dollar, please support us on Patreon to keep this bit alive. I remember at your wedding, there was a big to-do because you guys ran into another Zafrin. Yes. And it was such a rare thing that like numbers were exchanged. So Greg Zafrin, I'll, I'm not going to hold my breath for a Greg <laughs> Zafrin to pop out of nowhere. So those are those are our new people. Welcome. Uh, this is... Uh oh, Greg's about to sneeze at you. And oh, he, we all have COVID now. You used your mask like a handkerchief. I, I didn't blow into it. I covered the. I appreciate it, but also, may I add, ew. It's a, they I, get washed every six months. What's the big deal? <laughs> it's a, It looks like uh, the rag that Doc Holiday coughs into. <laughs> so whenever I have to sneeze into my mask, it feels so disgusting. It does. And, I, and then I just have to stand there with like, snot is dripping down, yeah, but I'm not going to like pull my mask down to be like, like hey, everybody. Oh, yeah. It's not COVID. Yeah. It's malaria. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, you're disgusting. So let's talk about uh, January. Yeah. What, well, no, let's talk about December still what let's did you do in the past December. month greg um let's see this last weekend <laughs> well, I, I went to wham. everybody's house i went through the chimney <laughs> at the new bob baker theater in highland park they had a sort of i would say like a disney vendor exhibit where they had different people like chris nichols shag was there merch motel was there and they just sold some products that were like disney sort of themed which when you first told me shag was there i told you there was dirt on my phone and i thought you said shack was there right 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 right, right. you did say that and, and i then, kept asking you if you dunked on him hard and you didn't really know what i meant did he pick you up you kept asking if Shaq picked me up. He doesn't just pick everybody up. Did he up. sell you insurance? <laughs> or maybe an icy hot? What was funny about that was that after you got your little joke in a he he he, you never were impressed that Shag was there. Uh, Shag was <laughs> How there. How many rings does he have? <laughs> and uh, me and Ada went with Ringo in our little bag, carrying not him around. Of, not of Patreon. Not Patreon supporter Ringo Star. That's how you get people that you've wanted to pay attention to you for a while to pay attention to you. Oh my God, you're sneezing again. Oh my allergy's hitting. That's yeah. what the new variant's called. Allergy. Oh my God, he <laughs> did it into his mask again. Oh my God, he's so respectful and yet disgusting. <laughs> that's how I show respect. But that's how you get people <laughs> you can that keep this as a. <laughs> We're going to auction this off for charity. I've discovered that the way to get attention of people that you really admire and you're too shy is to carry a, a adorable dog around with you. Did Shag talk to you? No, the person that was with him was like, Who? yeah, Shag, Shag cares about my dog. Scoob. Yeah, but it was it was a great event and I love being... Uh, the, the, the new theater feels like it's small, but I could see how you could fit a lot of people in there. Yeah, and well, it's the just, other one was certainly small. That's right, yeah. But I think... It wasn't even a theater. It was just like a room that they put seats in. It was a room with a curtain. No, but I love this new theater. Which is my favorite Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> <laughs> Next to throat, but I, I, I really just—it was nice just being around um, pup uh, marionettes again. It was really cool. It was so good. It was so good. <laughs> to honestly, be around a puppet. There was a lady at the door who had a marionette at like my knee level, and I was like, hey, but I, I did the thing again where I was talking to the marionette and I wasn't talking to the, the lady who's and the marionette wasn't interested in you, but yeah. wanted to meet Ringo. Move along. It's the stormtrooper from Star Wars. Move along. Move along. What did you do this last month? Well, I did something uh, equally whimsical. Maybe oh. not equally. I mean, mine is based in reality, but a reality from Europe at that. Uh, we went to the Alpine Market. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. I had never been to before. Yeah. And it, I, I know that like part of it's closed. We went to the actual like, right. it's like a German supermarket. We went shopping. There. We went, Greg. I brought bratwursts. Do you want to see the pumps that I bought <laughs> at Alpine Village? Because we went shopping hard, Greg. <laughs> I dropped. It's great. It's no. a beautiful old market, German themed off the 110 in Torrance. Yeah, it's in Torrance. Yeah. It 
it, it and it was around Christmas time, so yeah. we know how those Germans feel about Christmas. Right, 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 right. It, so it was all decorated, and they brought in like all of these special German treats for Christmas, like the Pfeffernusen and your <laughs> Stolen. And I your... ate so much later, Hosen. I got sick. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, but you can eat a Birkenstock, right? <laughs> <laughs> and all of their their cramp eye were there. But yeah, it's it's like even disregarding that stuff, which you can't, yeah, because uh, it was everywhere. They have like forty different kinds of sausages. They had like two hundred different kinds of beer or something. They had a whole bakery with German goods. Right. Uh, they have you heard of? They have a pretzel. They have pretzels, Greg. <laughs> it's knotted bread, not knotty bread. Yeah, you eat it at baseball games, which the Germans love going to. <laughs> but yeah, they they had just all this German food, and That's it was great. it was a lot of fun. And I can't wait to go back to yeah. buy maybe a spatzel. Maybe I'll go and get a spatzel. Perhaps I'll get some Knorr brand products. Maybe I'll buy sauerkraut. Perhaps I'll get a Dusseldorf <laughs> or two. I bought 20 Berlins <laughs> running through all the things I know about they Germany. Had, they had a whole section of just pieces of the Berlin the Berlin wall. wall that you could buy, commemorative, they're all numbered or whatever. Yeah, it's a really fun place and I know that it's having, I, I, I don't know what the deal is exactly yeah. with them, like they want to tear it down or like they're trying to get it protected landmark status and I hope it really does because it's a really fun place to go to. Yeah, I mean, that'd be, that'd even, be it. And that's coming from someone who has an innate fear of German things. <laughs> I had a great time there. Uh, sure, I I hid this giant mezuzah that I wear around everywhere around my neck, but I had a great time there. They didn't ask. Sure, I had forged papers. It's a lot of fun for all ethnicities. <laughs> no matter it, how they make you feel when you walk in, all people are sure welcome. Sure, you have to turn a blind ear to certain <laughs> quips and jokes they were making. Sure, the posters of the war are a little bit offensive. Lots of rodents. I mean, it's okay to have pride in your country to a point, but these posters, I mean, the they sure know who to blame for everything that's going wrong with this market. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful market. What is a wonderful place with, from a wonderful culture with no history. Okay, so we're going to do a listener question at right. the end. But let's explain a little bit of what this episode is okay. that we're going to be doing right now, Greg. Oddities. Word places. I would, tell me I more. wouldn't so much say it's an oddity. I the original conceit was old timey attractions. Right. Although mine verged more on old timey. Yeah. Yours is more old fashioned. When we were talking earlier about all the things that went wrong with researching this month for me. You mean when I was yelling at you? You, you were downright scolding me, dressing me down. When I pulled down your britches and was uh, smacking yeah. you with a piece of a birch tree when the janitor walked in and it was like, wow, I'm into wow. this. And she's like, you've been an Alpine market, haven't you? <laughs> I realized as we were talking earlier that I have a lot of weird respect for roller rings and I consider them old timey because my idea of old timey is not necessarily like Victorian yeah. or 1920s, but it's, it's like everything that's encompassing the first half of the 20th century, which that is sort of like thrown in the mix for me. You're right. It's not old timey. It is just like American graffiti. So basically the idea is old attractions around LA. Mine are no longer here. Right. Yours notoriously here. Can't get rid of it. Aggressively, Aggressively won't go away. here. And I, I chose it because it's one of those places that I've always wanted to know more about. I've never been there because nobody wants to go with me. Even though my best friend rollerblades all the time. <laughs> it's weird that he won't go with me anywhere. Um, but I only do it outside where people can really see me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only supposed to flex in the dark. But uh, I wanted to well, know. I don't look good in uh, in neon. I don't look good in black Day glow, yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to know more about this place and I was very interested. And it, it is a place that like well loved but not enough 
people outside of people who grew up here know much about. Well, maybe this will maybe draw this them will... towards it, much like a member of a hated political party <laughs> fleeing into another country. Let's say an example like Argentina. Um, Argentina. Argentina. Chile. Uh, uh, <laughs> Ohio. Um, you get taken in um, Operation Paperclip and they hire you to do uh, rockets for NASA. I don't know. Is that what Clippy is? that where Clippy's from? He's, Clippy is actually a Nazi officer, yeah. I knew it. Yeah. I could tell. Did I ever, how lucky we were that Hitler looked into the occult to have so much, like the fact that he was slightly curious means that we get so many sci-fi stories. <laughs> if he wasn't high on meth wondering how to make magic happen, we would have less sci-fi adventure stories. <laughs> we wouldn't stories. have the island of the crystal skull. <laughs> so I'm going to get my, uh, I'm going to go first. Um, okay. Mine is one that I, when I teased you about it earlier, by that I mean whipping you with the piece Ooh, of the birch tree. The whipping, tree. the birch tree. You you did not know anything about this, which I made me spank you even harder. <laughs> but uh, out of joy, um, I can't wait to tell oh you. Oh boy, this. you're gonna be so happy! All right, let's get it started. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, step right up because we're talking about attractions. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, step right up. I welcome you to enjoy a story about two things I don't enjoy being on: bikes and elevated pathways. This one, I thought the other ones would be drugs. I like CBD now. <laughs> When do you man? 2022. They give me that vaccine and suddenly I got an appetite for a CBD. I like doing bikes more than I like doing drugs. <laughs> this one here is about the old Pasadena Velo Way, okay. aka the Pasadena Cycleway, aka the California Cycleway, aka it's a place for bikes. We get it. It's cool, the, cool, cool. It's the Pasadena bike place. So you don't know anything about this? No. Maybe maybe when I describe it to you more, you'll you'll be like, oh yeah, I saw a picture. And that that deserves a spanking. I'm sorry to say. Oh, you've seen pictures? Oh, put that on a tally mark I have on the wall here. Every tally mark will another handprint. What happened to Birch tender Tree? Little rump. I, did, I, I thought that sounded too cruel, so I thought I'd just go straight, just flesh to flesh. I'm, yeah, I'm biting down on the Birch Tree now. Keep the screams is, from uh, Yeah, I don't hurt. want the janitor to come back in. Or if we want to go a different direction with this line of uh, quote-unquote joking, I fashion the Birch Tree into my hand, so it leaves a, a fleshy handprint. So, picture this, if you will. The years, the 18th. 1880s. Horses were a relic of the past and cars were a relic of the future. People wanted a new way to get around that wasn't constantly fecaling, but they were also <laughs> they were also holding out for Teslas because the cars that existed at the time, if any, were not feasible. Just, I wish my bike can poop. That's the car of the future. That's what uh, electricity, just little, little batteries should just, uh, whenever they stop and then there's a little guy that comes by and sweeps it up. And also, here's another, I'm going to give two takes for every joke that I, and see which one better the only tesla in town was nicola um so he wouldn't shut up about his bicycles <laughs> he wouldn't shut up about how thomas edison was stealing all of his ideas and sending him into poverty he killed his elephant for him that was my elephant to kill not yours did he kill his elephant didn't thomas Edison kill an elephant to prove that he could or am i thinking <laughs> of somebody else who killed the elephant to prove that he could kill so an like elephant? assert his dominance over nikola tesla <laughs> He strangled it with his bare hands. <laughs> with his electrical hand. Yeah, get a giant pillow and put it over his face. <laughs> and that's how Electra was born. <laughs> so what should rise up to fill this transitional need? The humble, comely, no one wants to marry... Bicycle. Bicycle. The bicycle. The bisexual sisexual. <laughs> they had been around for decades, but a couple advancements in the technology came about that culminated in the 1880s. Equal size wheels. You joke? Is that a joke? Greg. Yeah, I'm literally joking. Don't. 
because <laughs> give me two seconds and you'll see why so, that's funny. So symmetry was new at the time. Do you want to take a separate take on that joke? Because that's not a joke. Listen to this. First, a few years after the war where we weren't all friends as a country anymore came the invention of the chain system on a okay. bike Smart. So, so that you could actually pedal them to move them. How they move before that, I can't even begin to understand, but my best guess is Fred Flintstone. <laughs> like, I don't know. A running start. <laughs> And a running everything. Like <laughs> I don't understand how bikes worked if you couldn't. They pedal just them. held you up as you ran. Your servants carried you. <laughs> what, what's the big deal? Okay, so then came 1886 was when safety bikes were introduced, meaning that it wasn't the guy with the big mustache in a Beetlejuice suit riding on a bike with one giant wheel and one small one. Now the average bike had two wheels that were the same size, which was much safer. Ridiculous. It, it clearly shows that the original conceit of a bicycle was like a daredevil thing. Yeah. Like a novelty daredevil thing and someone's like you know we could just use this as a way to get around like you guys didn't figure that out why would they even start with like we're gonna harness the power <laughs> of the wheel and then one more eight times its size uh, is symmetry not a thing yet they're like no not yet hold off now thomas edison didn't kill an elephant in front of me <laughs> so we haven't figured that out yet. oh he died equally on both sides but now it became standard it was much safer no two bad. wheels of the same size then in 1888 came rubber tires filled with air so now it was not only safer but easier than ever for anyone to ride a bike yeah what were they made of before yeah <laughs> i like to acknowledge that i Ivory? raised my hand and yeah. then he answered me if not air what i don't know because it said rubber tires filled with air so i don't know if there were rubber tires before that were oh, just solid like rubber? solid rubber yeah. or if That's it was ne- if it was just like wooden wheels or something yeah. or just like metal wheels I-, I don't know okay that's right that's right it-, it all seems so logical to me because i'm really intelligent and if i had been alive back then i obviously would have come up with it but like i don't know what they were thinking You're smart enough to kill an elephant <laughs> <laughs> if that was me, I would have killed so many elephants. That's how smart I would have been. So this made the bike much more accessible to someone who wasn't willing to train in the circus to be able to ride one. Yeah. And it wasn't only fun, but it was also a pretty effective new way of getting around that need, I remind you, wasn't constantly dumping green all over the street. Come on, like gray, brown, green. I don't know. Where are your horses being fed? They're actually donkeys, but it's all the same. If I ate what they ate, I'd probably, it'd probably be a gray, green, brown. Well, let me tell you, I do eat what they eat and it's pretty green. On top of that, they were were cheap so young people could afford them and suddenly bicycle mania gripped america oh the 1880s God, how annoying it's like portland <laughs> <laughs> it's like how portland never grew past in the Did that bicycle have a motor Golly. Golly. Did you literally did, not Portland? Anyone who's not from California sounds like Gomer. Yeah, we've established We've established that. anyone, even outside of the county limits. Yeah, it, I mean, I'm willing to even go so far as Santa Clarita <laughs> sounds like Gomer Pyle. Why was that the sun? <laughs> Why was that a magic mountain? <laughs> oh, magic I'm going to count all those flags. One, two, three. Oh my God. I can't count <laughs> harder than that. Yeah. They've got two threes. Um, <laughs> we love the city of Santa Clarita. What a beautiful love place. We, we love of them and their addictions. In the 1890s, over 3,000 bike makers opened their doors for business in the United States. Around this time, millions of Americans bought bikes and it completely changed the culture of America. Like I said, it was a new way for people to get around, but it also became a big part of social life. Like it changed the way young people went on dates. Like you could, I'll go to the city limits. I'll go. I'll ride to the where the, yeah. the road stop. It changed women's fashion so that they could more comfortably ride bikes. Meaning that skirts got shorter. Va va boom. And some women even started wearing a type of pants. Va va boom. Va va. Oh. <laughs> 
Some people even attribute the popularity of bikes around this time to a drop in church attendance and piano playing because it was just so much more fun to be outside riding a bike. The bike killed the old world and I love it. God is dead. Bike is God. Bike, bike is God. I wear pant. I am woman. I wear pant. God is dead. I am woman. Hear me bike. <laughs> Hear me boop boop. It's the bell. It's the horn. I am woman. Hear me war. Oh, wooga. Wooga. Bike destroys man. <laughs> Women wears pants. <laughs> Bike inherits Thomas, the uh, Thomas Edison kills an elephant. I'll wait till we're a break before I look up whether Thomas Edison killed an elephant or not. I'm very curious if it I was Thomas no Edison. I think no one should ever look that up and that just becomes L.A. Meekly canon. Was it Newton? Whatever. Okay, we'll get there. Hang on. Isaac Newton killed an elephant. Now you've gone too far. <laughs> he would never do that. <laughs> an elephant would kill him was it, with gravity. Was it Galileo? <laughs> Naming everybody who was smart. I think it was... Was it Aristotle? Was it, I think which it might one was have been, real? Aristotle oh, it was King or David. He cut the elephant in half. That's it. Oh, Aristotle wrote about Socrates killing an elephant because he wasn't. <laughs> one of them's not real. I kind of went to college, but I don't remember. One. Was it Homer who did, who <laughs> killed the Cyclops, or did he kill an elephant? Uh, they kill a Cyclops for killing an elephant. I'll give you two halves of an elephant for a hamburger today. <laughs> okay, so no city was right. more primed for bike culture than our very own. Los Angeles. That's right. Lots of open space, but more importantly, great weather for riding a right. bike. Right. It is great weather. In 1897, there were, it's a great, great day to ride it's a, a bike. Gr- That's how I wake up every morning. My legs want to be so mad at me today. I'm going to go ride a bike. I always say I'm going to wake up and ride my bike today. And then I get into my Humvee and I just drive down the middle of the road to the petroleum store. There's so many parts of the city that are so hilly that I could see in an early era bike. I see it good on flat areas. Well, well, okay. There's also lots of marshes in old LA too, but whatever. The, the bogs of Hollywood. <laughs> in 1897, there were 30,000 bikes in Los Angeles. What? When the population of the entire city was like five people. <laughs> in 1897, it was barely 100,000 people. So 30% of the city, thank God for this easy math here, yeah. 30% of the city had bikes. Two bikes for everyone. <laughs> Two legs for every <laughs> pants. Um, the LA Times was even promoting bike riding because they felt it was very chaste. They claimed it was good for modern young women who were becoming a rosy-cheeked, large-waisted, clear-eyed creature who is a field early and late. Okay. Neither a compliment or a Uh, I've been reading and playing a lot of The Witcher, and this sounds like how a lot of monsters are described. (laughs) There were long, dirt bike paths around town, like the Santa Monica Cycle Path. Okay. Also, the Santa Monica Psychopath, you should be afraid of him. It went from downtown to Santa Monica. Monica. The Southern Pacific Railroad even built a bike racetrack with spectator bleachers in Santa Monica. Okay, that's pretty cool. There were even several bike gangs that would race each other around town. Pretty cool. There was the Los Angeles Times Bicycle Club, which feels sponsored. There was the East Side Club in Boyle Heights. There were the Wanderers in Whoa. Santa Monica and the Crown City Club in Pasadena who had their own personal racetrack and uniforms and imposed a strict prohibition against group bicycle runs on the Sabbath. So They took it seriously. Yeah, so they were, I mean, look, you can be religious and ride a bike <laughs> if you join the Crown City Bike Club. They said you couldn't. They said it would never happen, but I believe in God and I have to get somewhere. It was like um, the Warriors, but with, with with uh, bike gangs. Bike gangs and women wearing pants. Yeah, which is one of the groups of the warriors, the <laughs> women, pant women. The women who wear pants. <laughs> she, they who wear pants. You hear like scratches on the on, like chalkboard. You're like, oh no, the women who wear pants are here. <laughs> Gotta get out. And they carry around just things they can put in their pocket. And that's, what they, <laughs> that's what they attack you with. Oh, warriors come out and wear pants. <laughs> there is three in the morning. No. 
I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. Leave me alone. There was even a big downtown to Santa Monica bike race every July 4th. Mm. And they'd also do an LA, get this, LA to Riverside bike race no, every year. No, I will not get Un- this. Unfathomable. I, like, how could you? That's like the- I give it back. The Tour de France can't even do that. God, you can't even take the bus back. Like you ride on that way and, you're just, and then you get to your destination. You're like, all right, well. If, you, if you're lucky, you can catch a horse. You can like <laughs> hold on to the back of a horse like Marty McFly. This is going to poop all over you. <laughs> And it will be green. But back to that place I just mentioned a few seconds ago. The place known for its little old ladies who might wear pants. For in Pasadena in particular is where this story takes place. Pasadena was not immune to the bike plague. The first bike ever in Pasadena showed up in 1882 as a 46-inch auto wooden wheel, which I, I guess they did. I'm assuming that means it had a wooden wheel. So my original postulation was correct that I guess some bikes had wooden wheels. It was owned by a guy named Will Heisey and their first bike race in Pasadena was on December 18th, 1885. By 1898, there were 4,000 bikes in Pasadena, which only had a population of 9,000 people. So oh. almost half the people in Pasadena, unless like everyone had three bikes. But that's a, that's a lot of bikes to be on the road. It's funny that we have such a traffic problem and an overpopulation of cars currently in LA. It almost seems like we've always had this problem. Yeah, like there's, there's like too everybody many Everybody needs the- their own vehicle. We're not going <laughs> to share with nobody. What, is there going to be a commuter bike that we can all hop on? That's crazy. Uh, But with all this wholesome family fun, there must be a way to make a cynical buck and cash in on people's genuine love of something. Enter the mayor of Pasadena. Oh, scumbag. Technically, he wasn't a mayor until a little bit later, and technically, he was just head of Pasadena's City Board of Supervisors, which was just the equivalent of being a mayor. But still, enter the mayor of Pasadena, Horace Mural Dobbins. Every single word is good. Every single name is old. <laughs> um, he was born in 1868 in Philadelphia, and much like the Fresh Prince long after him, he was rich. Oh. After he, Fresh Prince eventually got rich. He was rich by association. His mom was rich. His dad was rich. But his dad was also rich in tuberculosis. So when he was young, the family, like Doc Hollywood, like not Doc, Doc Hollywood, Doc Holliday. Doc Holliday. Doc Hollywood's another movie. Doc Hollywood also had tuberculosis. <laughs> I'm just going to put it out there. Uh, remember when Doc Hollywood and Wyatt Earp uh, just <laughs> shot all those people? At the train station or whatever. Yeah, the OK train station. (laughs) So when he was young, the family moved, as all TB patients did at the time, to Pasadena. Right. As rich people in Pasadena did, they moved to Millionaire's Row. But Horace, who was something of a kooky visionary by all accounts, and as history has proven, he wanted to become rich of his own accord. Horace didn't care about bikes when they were being ridden by eccentric inventors, and he certainly didn't care about bikes when they were normal bikes. But what he did care about was making money. And he took notice of how popular bikes were at the time he was coming of age. He was one of the early, and I'll use the term again, kooky visionaries, who saw the potential opportunities that that could arise by connecting a city to its suburbs. Okay. Like he envisioned that, which again, like if I could go back in time, obviously I'm really intelligent. I could have told anybody <laughs> I could that. Have figured it out, yeah. But someone had to come up with the idea first of like there should be an easy way to get from the city to the place where people can live without getting stepping in green whenever they. Walk so this out was a way street. to avoid horse roads. No, well, just the idea of a suburb. For someone to create it. Like there was the city of Los Angeles, right. there was the city of Pasadena, and it was like, you're going to Los Angeles? See you in a month. I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Exaggeration. Hyperbole. But like for someone to come up with the idea of like, these should be connected so it's basically the same city. Got it. That meant easy commutes for workers who didn't want cramped city life and could spread out into the land surrounding the cramped city and create all new money-making opportunities and selling housing and transportation. Right. This is how Los Angeles became a sprawl and the yeah. other big kooky visionary 
Mary at the time who also saw the potential of this was Henry Huntington mm. with his Pacific Electric Railway cars. It was the same idea of like, I can connect all these different parts of town right. and also get really rich. So what Horace Dobbins envisioned was a potential toll road between Pasadena, where he lived, to downtown Los Angeles. No direct and easy routes existed at the time, and this was his chance to create one and make a lot of money doing it. Like I said, cars didn't really exist yet, and it just so happened that the popular mode of transportation at the time was the bicycle. Would you like me to sing the Queen song now? I tend to sing Queen songs in every single episode. It feels like every episode now, you've snuck Queen in. And I only know a handful of Queen songs, so you could literally sing anything right now and be like, it's probably a Queen song. (laughs) Fernando is a Queen song, I guess, because he only sings Queen songs now. If it had been cars, he would have built a freeway. Right, right. But it was bikes, so he decided to build a bikeway, which it's a bikeway for bikes, but a freeway for cars. I don't park on the drive or whatever um, the rest of the idiom is yeah he didn't i don't weigh enough free i don't get high when i drive (laughs) he he didn't want to sink all his own family money into this potentially crazy money losing endeavor so he got some additional funding from some other rich socal people such as ed braley owner of the braley bicycle emporium which was pasadena's oldest bike shop and our old friend thaddeus lowe oh wow mount lowe right on august 23rd 1897 horace incorporated the California Cycleway Company and set to work building his envisioned bike toll road. Cool. To start, he needed to set a path from Pasadena to downtown. And lucky for him, there was a natural path that had existed for centuries that had been used by the Keech and the Spanish and the Mexican inhabitants before Whitey took over. And that was our old other friend, the Arroyo Seco, which uh, has been running through like a dry stream (laughs) through the past two episodes. No water there, but you sure know that there used to be. Yeah, prove it. Like you keep saying it's the Arroyo Seco. Was it ever Mojado? (laughs) At what point was this place filled with water? That's what I want to know. Show me a photo. You know what? This is just another big government lie. (laughs) And that's what I've come here to talk about. Greg, I want to get new listeners by spreading conspiracy theories. I'm all for it. The government drained our river and they've been using that water to make coca-cola <laughs> they've been using that water to make fluoride <laughs> that they put back in our water um, to make us straight because we were all born gay Is that it we were Is all that- born bicycle <laughs> so the path was to start near the hotel green around dayton street in pasadena which was a hugely popular hotel hotel green at the time and then would go south past another popular attraction i'll be talking about later with some large flightless birds and a few other sites and points of interest along the Seiko, and then would come the Midway Point. At around where the Audubon Center now is in Debs Park near the Southwest Museum, Horace was planning to build what he called the Merlemont Casino. This was going to be the halfway point between Pasadena and downtown. It would have been a giant rest stop slash resort for the people riding along the Vela Way, or I guess just anyone who wanted to just go there. And it would have had a cafe, it would have had a restaurant, a lounge area, a women-only reading room. Where they go our pants and read. <laughs> a women only pant room. <laughs> uh, madam, you must check your skirt at the door. We wear pants here. Oh, I gotta get out of here. I heard about you girls. It's like when you gotta put on a, a dinner jacket and like oh, you can wear the, the, loner, the loner dinner jacket and everyone's just wearing like parachute pants because <laughs> they did, they forgot to bring pants. There was something called a Swiss dairy, which I guess you just bought like milk in. And of course... holes. If, <laughs> the milk had holes. Well, people don't say that anymore, but the milk had holes. People don't say that anymore, they do don't. they? No one talks about how many holes 
whole Swiss cheese has. No, they don't. When did that stop being funny? I think that that's ripe for humor. Uh, the milk had holes in it. And of course, well, the cows had holes in it. The cows had holes. Milk. And of course, a big ass bike rack. Um, the, the, my finger was covering the second word of that. <laughs> a big ass bike rack? How do I get so many fingers on this paper? <laughs> Whose hand is this? A big Go on. Ass. Keep going. Uh, sweaty, sweaty bike. Oh, Holes. Oh. A big ass Swiss. What's that mean? A big ass Swiss hole. Uh, then once you've rested up and had uh, Swiss milk with holes in right, it and right. you read a book with your pants on, yeah. if you're a woman, it, you'd woman. continue on the path. If you were a man, you also, you had to wear skirts because it was somehow easier for a man to wear a skirt. And everyone was just cool with it. It was just a gender bending time. It, nobody nobody even knew what we were supposed to be wearing. We just showed up. You're like, give me a skirt. Give me dungarees give, give me a skirt and a big glass of milk i'm <laughs> heading to downtown and i need my strength so it, you'd rest up there and then you continue on the path as it snaked along the arroyo seco which right. when was it proved to me a time when it was not just seco and you would end around where union station is today okay. so it would go from basically downtown pasadena to downtown Los Angeles, to like the plaza. Right, 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 right. I feel like I don't want to spoil this. Is if this later, so you can hit me with the birch tree or whatever. Is it literally? <laughs> I switched. You know, I'm back to the birch I, tree. I got a, I got an oak, but I kind of. It's too nice to hit you with. Is it just follow the path of the 110? Greg, pull your pants. Down. <laughs> <laughs> I swear you're, to God, I don't, if you're I, describing the route, and I keep like, if I knew another breed of tree, <laughs> I would hit you with that, but. Just pull your pants down, Greg. We'll get to it. It was actually kind of an engineering marvel, this thing. Okay. It ranged from between three to 50 feet above the ground, but it was by no means a hard path to ride. None of the grades were higher than 3%, okay. uh, which is like me in college. So it was very smooth, like me in college. <laughs> and it was and it was the width of basically four lanes of park traffic. Can we do a different take on no. this joke? I'd rather not. Can we revive the Swiss cheese thing instead? Of me talking about how large I was. <laughs> it was also an early example of grade separation, uh, which became so important to rail cars that kept slamming into traffic later on. <laughs> so, so like it was above everything. Yeah. Um, like uh, you in college. I... <laughs> Like you after college, yeah. Like me before, during, and after college. <laughs> it was made of Oregon pine. That's what I okay. That's what I'll I'm going to hit you with. with yeah, I special ordered it. On it will be here next <laughs> week, but I'm going to hit you with it on uh, Amazon Pine. I ordered that. <laughs> so they painted this pine dark green, and it had sand embedded into the wood for grip, so Whoa. it was weatherproof for the twice a year that it rained in L.A. <laughs> Little old ladies and prudish old men from Pasadena, of course, were afraid this would become an airborne lovers' lane. Right, right, so right, they right, added right. lights every fifty feet, so there wouldn't be any shadow whoopee going on we want to see the whoopee we're not against it yeah, we just want, want to, to supervise it. why are, why are you depriving us of the sight of whoopee we live in pasadena this is all we have yeah please i literally don't know how babies are born no one will tell me i have a feeling that it happens on bridges though when a man and a woman ride a bike <laughs> in the dark in the dark and, w and both of them are wearing pants <laughs> who wears the pants on this bike we don't know anymore uh it's too dark usually uh now the money-making aspect of this was that this was the world's first tolled road exclusively for bikes. Okay. It would cost 10 cents to go one way or 15 cents. 10 cents? What am I made of? 
dimes or it would be 15 cents for round trip, uh, which could have taken in about $20,000 a month if all went well. And they'd also offer rental bikes at various entrances. So it was really way ahead of its time. Okay, that sounds cool. Like the, like the city bike sort of right, thing, right, right, basically. Right, right. I feel like people bought bikes for like six cents and the toll road was 10 cents. I mean, if you want wheels that were the same size, <laughs> uh, you're going to have to pay at least 15 cents for a bike. <laughs> and if you wanted one big enough for Shadow Whoopi, oh boy, Greg. <laughs> On the flip side of all this innovation was that it cost $200,000 to make which today is about $6.5 million. So okay. get to collecting those dimes. Right, 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 you right, got to pay right. this thing off. Recommend. Also, it's made of wood and everything notoriously from the era that was made of wood was about to be on fire but or Greg, on fire. It's, it's painted green. Oh, I don't <laughs> tell me that you painted the color of nature and literally it can't burn if it's painted the color of nature. Yeah, fire is afraid of things that look like nature. Just ask every forest fire. The groundbreaking of this whole thing began on May 1st, 1899 and the grand opening was part of the Rose Parade. Oh, really? On January 1st, 1900. He had 350 bikes covered in flowers riding down the parade path and they would peeled off and went straight down the Velo Way along with about 300 other riders. And it was a huge sensation riddled with allergies. They all just went, oh, yeah, yeah, they yeah, went yeah. down this bike they way. They all sneezed in their masks. Yeah. yeah. They were so considerate. They And this was the early days of the Spanish flu, which was allergies. Which was just, it turned out to just be allergies and everyone was faking dying. Yeah, so all those people came back to life because they told them it was just allergies. <laughs> Newspapers worldwide wrote articles about it. They touted it as the world's first elevated bikeway and the only toll road catering exclusively to two-wheelers. It was even profiled in Scientific American. The only picture of Horace Dobbins on his pride and joy was him sitting, of course, on a personal steam-powered car on this bikeway. Which he... What a jerk. He hated bikes that much. But it's like, I don't even... Like, this thing was crazy. Like, he looked like, like he was in like an exoskeleton almost <laughs> of this crazy car he was riding on. Like it was a one person car that was. Oh my God. There's no like, steering yeah, column. So I have to, it's, it's all connected to my spine. <laughs> if I turn my head, I'll crash into that tree. Like the guy in Dune. <laughs> if you say so. It was huge. It was innovative. It was sensational. It was an elephant killed by Thomas Edison. <laughs> then where is it and why don't we ever talk about it? Yes. Why didn't you know about this? Why didn't I know about it? Um, why do I suspect that it's actually just the 110? Well, the problem was on this opening day, the Velo Way didn't go all the way from Pasadena to downtown LA as promised. It only went about one and a quarter miles of the way to where the Glenarm power plant is today, which if you look at it on a map, you could pretty much walk there quicker than you could on some ratty circa right. 1900 bike. Only one and a quarter miles of this. It was nowhere near what it was promised to be. Yeah. So what went wrong here? Let me count the ways. Okay. The casino was never built. No. Okay. So far away from that ever even happening. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They couldn't figure out how to put holes in the middle. <laughs> they shot it. It just keeps filling up. Yeah. It's some sort of T-1000, whatever that means. <laughs> I keep trying to cut the liquid. It, it doesn't. It just doesn't. I keep trying to cut the cheese, whatever that means, <laughs> and it's not happening. And my mom keeps laughing. <laughs> Horace had cleared all the land necessary all the way down to around the Highland Park area. Yeah. And he owned the traffic right of ways, but with this tiny section of it actually being built when it opened, it just wasn't practical for anybody. Like it was meant to be this functional superhighway between two places and that, that would make life easier for people that also function as a fun attraction. Right. But with only a one and a quarter miles of it existing, it was just an attraction. It didn't take people where they needed to go. It, had, so, it served no purpose. So boy, boy, will someone zing it later. I'll get to it. Uh, but yeah, it, it basically was useless. Some yeah. people even start, well, here we go. Some people started calling it the ride from nowhere to nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. They, That'll be 10 cents. The, 
Uh, so do you want the f- round, the trip? round trip or what? You <laughs> it's well, you came from nowhere. To go back to nowhere, it's going to be another 10 From cents. nowhere to nowhere to nowhere is 15 cents. <laughs> they kept working on it for a little bit longer, but construction had stopped by October 1900. And I believe that the most they ever got done was three miles of it, which is nowhere near what they no, had promised. No, that's only three miles. Plus, people felt there weren't enough entry and exit points on it to make even oh, right. those three miles worthwhile. Oh so, God, can you imagine getting a freeway, but there's no exits? You just have to go the whole way? Not even with those three miles, it was worthwhile. Yeah. So it was kind of the 1900 equivalent of like that hoop hyperloop thing that Elon Musk oh, built. Oh, right, right, was, right. Whatever lie he made. On top of that, to get onto it at many parts since it was elevated, you had to carry your bike upstairs, Ugh. which nobody wanted to do. No. Nobody still wants to do. It was all made of metal back then? I know. It weighed as much as an elephant. And also, people found it hard to bike that far, especially for practical purposes, even though Horace swore that it was all downhill, which for his, for his endeavor, yeah. Yeah. It, it's downhill both ways. At one point, he was assuring... You keep like saying things as if it's a joke. At one point, he was assuring people that it was downhill both ways to like oh just God. get anybody interested in this like, is how no, no. dumb this story is is that <laughs> me joking is just land is hitting perfectly the mark it's like me pretending to know how to throw darts and i keep hitting the mark sometimes stupid jokes are stranger than fiction <laughs> but the biggest problem might have been that by the time it opened the bike craze was already winding down oh my God. like everything was going wrong yeah. for this i mean he brought a car on his bike way you show everyone how to Cars, make a car uh, it was like he was on a lawnmower <laughs> <laughs> Horace had started the project in 1897, but he didn't get approval on it until 1898, and it didn't open until 1900. It opened until 1951. <laughs> Don't tell me that's the next thing. They're fact still that- working on it, Greg. <laughs> Boy, you were just knocking it out of the park. Just for that, you can pull your pants back up. I don't want to hit you. You don't deserve it. I don't want to pull my pants back up. <laughs> Those three years is a long time when you're talking about the popularity of something. That's like if I, it's like the Angry Birds movie coming out when no one cared about Angry right. Birds anymore. It's like you finally getting the courage to buy a suit and do your hair like a mop top and the Beatles are already dressed in like Captain Crunch. You're like, oh no, I've already missed the <laughs> What am the I going to do with phase. these heeled boots? <laughs> I got to get some jacket from India now. Dude, they're about to break up. Don't try to look like them anymore. I'm just going to dress like the Dave Clark Fox. <laughs> they always look the same. <laughs> That's a look that will never go out of style. <laughs> the Model T was still eight years away when it first opened. Uh-huh. So it wasn't really cars that killed this bike way like a lot of people claim. It was like every other article was like, cars killed it. No, when, no it killed Cars killed it from the future. <laughs> Terminator again. <laughs> they sent back milk and cars. <laughs> the fact of the matter is that the average person just didn't really care that much about biking by the time yeah. that it opened. Like they were, they were like, all right. Uh, okay, cool. Back to those horses. Yeah, <laughs> I. You know what? I missed the, I fecal, missed the fecal. I missed the bike being mad at me. <laughs> I missed the chance of the bike kicking me if I <laughs> walk behind me to it. Death. Yeah. Um, Horace Dobbins was a man with ideas just outside of his time. Would you say that he was an all oddball visionary? What was the? Uh, he was altogether a kooky visionary. Kooky visionary. Yeah. He was too early for cars, but too late for bikes. When my he, two favorite Pixar movies. Go ahead. <laughs> He was too early for cars, too late for Cars cars 2. Two Cars Too Furious. (laughs) (laughs) At what point is the Fast and the Furious franchise just going to meld with the Cars universe? I can't wait for (laughs) them to steal Lightning McQueen and be like, something's weird. And then they look over and someone's in Herbie the Love Bug and it's a sentient Cars and now they have to fight the Transformers. (laughs) Somehow the Italian job is (laughs) the villain? I don't get it. When he halted construction, he said, wheelmen have not evidenced enough interest in 
in it, and so we will lie still for a time and use it for an automobile service, but those vehicles are not yet common or perfect enough to jump into business. So you don't want to jump into the car phase of transportation it wasn't there yet like oh, the old, oh, that's the, there saying. were not model t's like there were not cars that people okay. could afford he could see that it was coming like yeah. he could just s- like you're gonna like a person who's about to get hit by a car i could see that it's coming yeah the person getting hit by the first car the first car i can see this is happening i don't know how to avoid it no no no, no. <laughs> he's going 10 miles per hour and i literally i'm so fascinated that i'm still standing in the yeah. way so fascinated so <laughs> furious after it hits you but yeah he just like he was just in between times like yeah. he just uh, swing and a miss. So he basically just decided to sit on the land he had secured for the Veloway in the hopes that it would make sense for cars or some other mode of transportation someday because he believed in the concept of the super road between right. Pasadena and downtown LA, but the world just wasn't there yet. In the meantime, he just let the small portion of the Veloway that existed to rot. Like it was just there. Like I think people were still using it, but it was just like- Or shadow whoopee. It, yeah. You ever heard of the 50 foot high club? <laughs> uh, I've got splinters literally everywhere. Uh, Four lanes of paradise. But old Henry Huntington didn't even want to have to look at this thing. The very idea of a competition in any form to his Pacific Electric calls, that might I add, was cheaper than what he was charging, was right. repugnant to him. Literally, Daniel Plainview. When you say Henry Huntington, I literally see, <laughs> why don't I own this? Yeah. He's so angry at everyone all the time. If he sees a fast bird, he's like, oh, why don't I own that? I drink your Swiss milk. <laughs> Huntington fought Dobbins in court in 1902 over the traffic right of way he owned. And in 1908, the California Supreme Court made Horace Dobbins return some of the land that he bought, I guess, to California. But the Pasadena Veloway stood for quite a while. It was apparently still up in 1919, just sitting there, Oh wow! where Horace decided to redub it as the airline. And he was going to transform it into, you guessed it, I'm going to, as predictable as this story apparently is, I'm going to let you guess what he was trying to next sell this as. And Greg, might I add, I'm holding a piece of Oregon pine in my hand. <laughs> he called it an airway. He can't be like, land a plane here. Oh, no. That's no. a good guess, though. Okay. I will... I'll spank myself with this, for this one. Oh, I liked it. He wanted to turn it into a monorail. Monorail? Monorail. Monorail. Veloway. Veloway. The city voted on it on March 30th, 1919, and they decided to put the no in monorail. <laughs> so again, he was just way ahead of his time. Right, right, right. But they loved it in Pasadena. It put Santa Clarita on the map. That was when Horace just gave up on his dream Poor once guy. and for all and sold it to another entity that would make Henry Huntington nervous the Southern Pacific Railway, who tore it down and sold it off for lumber. But his idea proved to be sound because that same path that his bikeway took would eventually be used as the path of the Arroyo Seco Freeway, which many consider to be the first modern freeway in the United States. So in a way, you could attribute the freeway system in maybe the entire country to Horace Dobbins and his vision, which, boy, if only he lived another hundred years. (laughs) He would have have insisted that it was made out of wood. And he would have been driving his weird uh, exoskeleton lawnmower. Slow down, you you bunch of (laughs) kooky maniacs. Slow Uh, down, you kooky visionaries. Plus, there are still modern efforts to make some sort of bikeway between Pasadena and downtown LA by groups like the Arroyo Seco Greenway Project. So maybe now is the time to bring back Horace's vision. But alas, it is too late for Horace Dobbins to see his dream from over a hundred years ago come to fruition. In his own lifetime, he was forced to be content with the work he later did helping revitalize Exposition Park. And another dream project outside of time when he built one of the biggest three-hole catamarans ever constructed. Really? A kooky visionary. A 
failure version of Abbott Kinney. As if he wasn't a failure. Oh, 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 oh hey. Hey. coming after Abbott Kinney here. <laughs> yeah, so that's the Pasadena Vela way. That's crazy. I mean, you, if you look at pictures of it, it's pretty, it, it's almost like the like the Roman aqueduct, like just going through <laughs> Pasadena. It's kind of crazy. It sounds kind of romantic and, and nice. If well, it was yeah, more if you like shadow whooping. If you like shadow whooping. Which after a nice glass of holy milk. Uh, holy milk. Holy milk, Batman. <laughs> um, I'm going to be, I'm, it's my turn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your turn. So tell me about the this not so old timey attraction. It's not have. so old timey. It's old fashioned. The year is 1950. The war is over. American male soldiers have returned home from Europe to kick women out of their jobs that fulfilled them and start doing guy stuff like <laughs> take those pants off. We're guys. We're gonna start doing guy stuff like forming the Hell's Angels instead of going to therapy. And while America entered into the post-war bliss uh-huh. a man named harry dickerman purchased a property in glendale come on no come on dickerman yeah but listen to his first name also harry dickerman purchased a property in glendale at the corner of san fernando road and hawthorne the space had been built 10 years earlier in 1940 and had been used to produce plane parts for the war although it was called the hayward lumber investment company but had since slowed down operations and went up for sale because you can remember glendale in our previous airport episodes we talked about grand central air terminal so we know that glendale was like an aviation of hub and producing stuff for the war right this little spot is still there today i'm going to be talking about the moonlight rollerway in glendale a roller rink left over from an era of roller skating that might not even be true <laughs> <laughs> it might be ro- completely romanticized in my head an era that i think existed just from watching boogie Nights. <laughs> i was reading an article about like what we were talking about before it's so hard to write about roller rinks or roller skating because like the ebb and flow is so unpredictable because literally boogie nights came out and there was a resurgence of yeah. roller skating yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it died it, out it, immediately. It feels like a I, I don't want to say there was ever a golden age of roller skating. Yeah. It feels like a fad like it's like the seasonal flu like it just yeah, keeps coming. it comes back, back and then like there'll be derby dolls so everyone will get into skating in and then they'll just die out of nowhere and then it'll come back for a little like it's weird the pandemic was another time where everyone started roller skating again yes, and now it's true. over yeah it's so weird. Roller skating can't die but it can't live I for very long. I think it might be a virus. <laughs> They have a shot for that, you know. Did you get your roller skating vaccine? <laughs> it turned out to just be 5G. It turned out to be five wheels. <laughs> just some background on Harry Dickerman. He was born in New York in... You're sick. You're disgusting. You don't deserve to wear pants. Give it to a woman. I spank you for misbehaving. You make me just give my pants away. You give your pants away, yeah, yeah. I donate one pair of pants for every time <laughs> I misbehave. And that's the L.A. Meekly promise. One pair of pants This donated. year, Daniel gave away 30 pairs of pants for being <laughs> disgusting boy. and naughty boy. <laughs> we have, instead of a swear job, it's just like a glass jar that I keep stuffing pants into. <laughs> so background on him. He was born in New York in 1898 to Russian immigrant parents. He was one of six kids. He comes from the town Big Butt. <laughs> it's pronounced Butte. Big Butte, New York. <laughs> Take a look at that Butte. New York. Back that butte up. I like Big Buttes. Big Buttes is a big Buttes. And then their sister city. And I cannot L Y E. So the Dickermans were a struggling blue collar family. So they all developed a strong work ethic because they had to. The family moved from New York to Minneapolis for a while and moved to Southern California shortly after or during World War II. That's the Hogan's Heroes one is World War II. Dickerman seemed to operate mostly in San Bernardino where he opened the Baseline Drive in Theater in Highland, which is, according to the internet, remembered 
fondly. Okay. This is one of those people like, oh, he, the man from the roller rink also did the theater that we, yeah, it's <laughs> like the same, the stuff he makes gets regarded high on the internet for locals and then anyone who's not from Highland is yeah, like, I don't, care. what's a drive-in yeah. theater? <laughs> this is baseline interest level. Yeah. <laughs> in an article about him in 1956, they stated that Dickerman was the owner and president of the Atlas Theater Corporation with theaters across the country, but I couldn't find out too much about that other than he had a theater. Uh, in 1925, it seems Harry Dickerman took over Harry's Roller Rink. Roller. Did he name it Harry's or is it just a coincidence? Which was also in San Bernardino. But here's the thing. He's not the Harry in Harry's Roller Rink, which was, it was another Harry. But. Butte. Butte. After Harry managed this Harry's Roller Rink, he went ahead and bought the former Plain Parts Industrial Building in Glendale in 1950 with plans on opening his own Harry's Roller Rink. And he would be the Harry this time. That's ridiculous. It's really stupid. <laughs> so he added two and a quarter inch thick, which is over two subfloors, 75 by 170 foot tongue and groove maple wood flooring. Uh, tongue and okay, groove. Maple wood. I'll keep that in mind. Maple wood when I need to hit you. Yeah. Tongue and groove means there's no nails used. They're just kind of like wedged yeah. into each other. That's my it. favorite type of humor. And with that, Harry Dickerman had installed the most essential piece of his new establishment in Harry's roller rink. The floor. The floor <laughs> to skate on. The rink. The rink in the, <laughs> the roller, roller rink. rink. And now I need rollers. And he did so and I don't know see the, here's the thing the spot where it's at is like half industrial and half residential like yeah. behind it it's like with an area I think it's called like Toonerville I don't know what traditionally it's called it's probably just like it's Toontown South, it's Toontown but like the train tracks is there the gentleman's club is on the other side of the train tracks there's all these industrial kind of places around there freeways right there but also on the other side of that, all the houses I only saw this place after actually we we, we were with uh, Emilio but I didn't want to go on the freeway because like the Dodgers had oh just- right it was a World Series game. Yeah, it was a World Series game. They lost, I believe. So you told me like, oh, take this road and this road home. And I did. And and when I got home, I was like, Greg, you didn't tell me there's a roller rink. There's a roller rink that you invite me to all the time. You didn't tell me that there was a roller rink. I didn't know what you were talking about. (laughs) Um, I thought you wanted to stay at home and curl our hairs one night. Our hair. Our hairs meaning uh, your hair. Yeah, my hairs. We spend so much time together. It's actually my hair as well. Since I have none. Your cup runneth over. My cap runneth over. It's it's technically not lycanthropy, but... (laughs) It is gross. The doctor does describe it as gross. The doctor describes it as, I don't want to go in there with him. So Harry's Roller Rink opened in February 15th of 1956. Roller skating was, like we were talking about, wildly popular, a wildly popular pastime during the Great Depression. And the novelty had survived through the 40s somehow. I haven't been to a roller rink since I was a kid. And even then, I think I'm thinking of an ice skating rink. So roller rinks exist. <laughs> They're really cold in there, right? You, when you fall down, it hurts and it's cold, right? <laughs> and you can also get sliced across the throat by the other people roller skating everyone's having a good time but we all know that we're on knives right that's that <laughs> but roller rinks exist in our modern world as a living novelty from the past meaning they are actually enjoyed and serve entertainment for people young and old so many articles are about like senior nights at moonlight rollerway but even though they are genuinely enjoyed they are still a relic of teen fun from 70 years ago they're not like you said they're not like victorian era old right this is an old thing to do <laughs> it is an old thing to, yeah uh, you might as well be at home playing gin rummy only with a lot more cocaine <laughs> Not prescribed officially. Yeah, that's but your the Victorian sold era. It. Yeah, that's Victorian era. <laughs> yeah, roller rinks. They're like bowling alleys, but everyone is having fun. Uh, okay, rude. Greg, do roller you know rinks was- are like bowling alleys, but pretty girls like it. <laughs> Greg, double rude. I was in a lot of bowling re- leagues when I was younger <laughs> with a lot of pretty girls, okay? My mom, my sisters. 
gorgeous. <laughs> just as much wood paneling on the, just as Absolutely. much wood on the floor though, those two places. One thing that qualifies something as an old timey attraction is that it has to happen on a wood floor. Oh, maple wood floor and you have to have different, you yeah. have to put your shoes somewhere else. Bowl, bowling, roller rinks, and um, square dancing. You got to put your <laughs> shoes on the side. You got to put your left foot in, you got to put your left out. You put them everywhere, you put in and out. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you know, you shake them all the <laughs> So there's the, okay, roller rinks. There's the skating aspect of it obviously that's what you go for but there's also in the roller ring heyday there'd be a live organist playing songs for skaters that's that was just a big deal uh, there'd be theme nights which sounds like a blast there'd be like a snack shack and later in decades they'd have like arcades would be thrown into the mix a lot of times roller rinks would be rented for private parties with families and friends or church and social groups and schools likewise they offer classes and during the 50s harry had a summer instruction course or i guess summer instruction hours for kids from the local recreational program under sponsorship of the parks and rec department so they put together like programs to ship kids in on a school bus for free teach them how to roller skate and send them back as like summer programming which is really cool send them back as disco champions <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is the kind of stuff that would happen at harry's roller rink in 1968 harry dickerman of the harry's roller rink sold the space to mildred and clifford i think this is how you say the last name nasheki clifford nasheki was a two-time new york figure skating champion and along with mildred his wife the two won mildred the new york his wife his wife the two won the new york paired championship three times so they were like in roller skating in roller skating mm -hmm. since their heyday which i think was there in the 30s the two had moved to southern california and along with giving lessons on skating began managing roller rinks the roller rink they managed was a roller rink in pasadena called the Moonlight Rollerway, which was the original one, 3545 East Colorado Boulevard, closer to like uh, Arcadia. The Moonlight Rollerway was owned by Ralph Perkins, who opened the original one in Pasadena in 1940. And in the ads, which feature Archie, Jughead, and Betty, it re was referred to as the Rolls Bowl of roller skating. The Rolls Bowl. Bowl. <laughs> they, yeah, they, yeah, it's Rolls Bowl. The Pasadena location was the site of the 1950 National Championships of the U.S. Amateur Roller Skating Association. So like, again, the 40s was another time where like, skating, we're all having fun yeah. even though there's clearly cars that work well clearly no there's getting bike. around town on roller skates except me except me during the pandemic <laughs> by the way roller blades for me not roller <laughs> skates okay it's a little more dangerous you know i think about that a lot because i once brought up you forced me to bring up how i'm rollerblading for exercising force you, you to force my hand you literally could not stop talking about it for a while off the air Greg. every time you you worked up a sweat oh it's is that to be as bad as me rollerblading <laughs> huh, <Greg? laughs> oh you see those wheels that reminds me of when i rollerblade whenever you like rolled a chair up to me. Because How fast can you go on that thing? It's a chair. I could go pretty fast on my rollerblades. How fast can you go on that chair you're sitting in? Because when I brought it up, I think people got the impression that I'm going around on roller skates. Oh, right. Which I do not want people to have that impression because that, like, that Is to that me- Is embarrassing? It, that, to me, the idea of people thinking I'm on roller skates makes me think that they think I'm going around with, like, knee pads and a fanny pack oh. and, like, a sweatband. <laughs> but no, I'm on roller blades, okay? Right. I've got the a Spitfire <laughs> shirt on. I've got- The fanny pack is way cooler. It's got Flames on it. Fanny pack is over my shoulder, <laughs> as kids do. My pants have a belt that came built into it. My cargo pants are literally holding all of my stuff. My all of my Walkman, Yeah. <laughs> my first edition Charizard. You wanting to distinguish between roller skates and roller blades is like, I don't eat yogurt. I eat Go-Gurt. <laughs> That's the difference. It's not yogurt. It's gogurt. I'm not a lame like my dad. I eat yogurt on the go. That's the same thing. <laughs> I don't yo. I go. I go. And when I go, I really yo. <laughs> and when I go, I girt. <laughs> By 1949, though, Ralph Perkins was out as the owner and the Nasheckis were in. So now by 1949, they own the Moonlight Rollerway and they want to open up a second location. And so they buy Harry's Roller Rink in Glendale. They open up that one and they do another one in Garden Grove. So there was originally three Moonlight Rollerways. So what people think is a wholly unique roller 
rink in LA is actually the sole surviving location, mm-hmm. the last of its kind. And the Nishekis changed very little when they took over the thing. So it's still kind of like... I am, I haven't been in there, but I imagine even still it looks... Because like that's how even like ice rinks, because there's so yeah. few roller rinks, like every single ice rink I've been into, except eh, there's some nice ones. I take that back. But like your average ice rink, it's like, okay, I'm in the 70s again. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, Pickwick was kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, ex- yeah. That's exactly what Pickwick, Panorama City, like it's all yeah. just like, okay, it smells the same. There's uh, <laughs> leather seats everywhere. Okay. <laughs> oh, please. Leather, Greg, leather in that weather? That is not leather weather. There's a timeless quality to places like, and same with bowling alleys. Like any bowling alley, you feel like you're in the 60s again. And I love that. I like the ones where you do feel like you're in the 60s. I don't like the ones that are like the, like their videos above each bowling lane. Oh, I like, no, I like that. I don't like that. I, I want to see the turkey come up when I get a turkey i want to see a dynamite go off and you're like you're pretty hot tonight see that the <laughs> computer said i was hot and that's what i would tell everyone in my bowling league <laughs> and my mom my sisters the most gorgeous woman i know so they changed very little when they took over harry's roller ring so even by 1968 1969 it was already 20 years down they were like okay well let's just keep this yeah. vintage retro aesthetic which yeah. is from the 50s yeah. and they also brought along a young organ player from the other rink Dominic Kanglosi who along with his Hammond B3 organ entertained skaters for decades to come from the 60s on popularity in roller skating and rinks really like I was saying was an ebb and flow like they fought the emergence of TV and the Beatles and Elvis and then they had another resurgence in the disco era of the late 70s and 80s but nowhere near the crowds they had seen before so like again like oh everyone's kung fu fighting roller disco it's cool and then the 80s was like kind of some people in hip-hop were doing roller skating <laughs> to keep it alive pretty much after that after the explosion of rock and roll the live organ player became a novelty within a novelty as well <laughs> so the music that dominated roller rinks were you know like disco elvis hip-hop the yeah, beatles he couldn't play that on his he couldn't play organ. he was trying so hard i mean to come up with a beat if you can't play uh, the sugar hill gang on <laughs> your ham and organ then are you really a ham are and you organist? <laughs> recorded music started taking over Live organ music became a specialty night, which was Tuesdays. So by 1985, the Nishekis were looking to sell the Moonlight Rollerway and be done with it. But who should step in and purchase it but the organ player, Dominic Kanglosi, who dropped $96,000 on buying the Moonlight Rollerway to keep it alive. That's pretty cheap. I mean, for to buy a roller ring? For an, yeah, in 1985. Uh, I guess in 1980. Never mind. I tell, That's like $7 million today. Thanks, Reagan. When's that ninety-six grand going to trickle down to me? <laughs> Dominic has been the owner ever since then. When I was talking about Tuesday nights, every Tuesday night, you can still, as of 2020, 21 still see Dominic Kanglosi play live organ music which is like he plays like Foxtrot and he plays like all the the Moonlight Rollerway is the missing live organ place we won't you won't see the Mighty Wurlitzer but you'll get old timey organ music at the Moonlight Rollerway while you skate I feel like this podcast has become us just slowly uncovering who plays an organ in this city but the Bob Baker thing um, Ed Torres was playing oh really he was there he was there and then the very next day we went to um, we should say from the El Segundo Old Old Town Music Hall who usually plays there. The next day, we went to the Old Town, Town Music Hall to watch Holiday <laughs> Inn and they added padding on the seats. But it was a different a different guy was playing for that. But I was like, oh my God, like I've seen two different world entrants playing <laughs> one weekend. Am I, am I Daniel now? Do I need to start rollerblading around town? <laughs> so if you go inside Moonlight Rollerway tonight, you will be steeped in 50s. And we will. And we will. It's open. Uh, you'll be steeped in 50s, 60s nostalgia. Both the Neshekis and Kanglosi has changed very little the architecture or decor of the roller rink. The color bar lights that adorn the entrance are amazing they look so good they literally american graffiti <laughs> it's literally like old 50s america i also think they might have just filmed an episode of it's always sunny in philadelphia there oh really where they 
buy a roller rink. <laughs> you mean the gang buys a roller rink? You're really good at guessing tonight. How did you know that was the title? Moonlight Rollerway also has a cafe and an arcade. Still offers classes of all ages. Has an adult night, Saturday young skater hours on Saturdays. Uh, every Wednesday night from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. is Rainbow Skate Night, which is an LGBTQ oh, yeah. skating oh. session, which allows... Even better than what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> uh, allows members of the community to do something that isn't going to a bar, which they listed on their site. Uh, Moonlight Rollerway has a senior skate night, country mm. western night, there. and oh. a Harry Potter night, which are offered Weird. regularly. So you're supposed... What does what does roller skating have to do with Harry Potter? It's a theme, so you go dressed as a wizard or whatever uh, stupid well, thing. Well, I always dress like a, like a wizard when like I go owl roller. with you or whatever. I dress like a wizard and bring an owl whenever I go rollerblading. That's how I get the most speed. I cut scars into people's foreheads. That's how I get speed. Was that what Charles Manson and his group were doing? <laughs> they really liked Harry Potter. They missed the thunderstrike up, so they had to do it again in a different. They direction. were trying to do SS thunder no. lightning bolts, but uh, they got a little confused. They're, it's hard to do it when you don't have a mirror and you're just trying to figure it out in your forehead, <laughs> your own forehead. The mirror of Erised. <laughs> Harry Potter. Okay. COVID nineteen slowed down the roller rink as it did with everything else, but Kanglosi used that time to make behind the scenes repairs and maintenance and reopen slowly and safely with the help of. You know, they did a lot of drives online and were able to put money together to stay open. If you're wondering if you've seen Moonlight Rollerway before, you probably have. The gang buys a roller rink. The gang buys a roller rink. The, the gang buys Moonlight Rollerway in Los Angeles. <laughs> From the LA Meekly episode in particular. You've maybe seen it in 1979's Roller Boogie or Jack Hill's Switchblade Sisters when they kicked that pregnant girl in the stomach with roller skates. Glow. Okay. Glee. Okay. Euphoria. And, uh, I thought you were going to say glib. Glob. Glorb. Damn, that was the next movie. Glyph, glaff, glove. Um, <laughs> Loveless. Lovelace. The movie about the porn star from Deep Throat. I can't remember her first name now. Love Lice. Love Lice. Straight out of Compton. Their first concerts at a roller rink. It's Moonlight Roll Away. The Buddy Holly story starring Gary Busey. <laughs> And Jessica Simpson's music video for Public Affair. Uh, that That's what I know it from. But it has to be said that the historic and family-friendly roller rink is not without huge controversy. Moonlight Rollerway has been accused of discriminating against people of color. It seems like the veiled refusal is regarding fiber wheels or fibers as well as micro wheels, which is popular in the black community. I think it's linked to hip-hop in some way. Um, what? Like the, the type of wheels The type of use? wheels. Because according to rinks, the roller rinks, they're saying that these types of wheels will scratch up rink floors but a lot of people have argued against this also the toe stops too they're saying that that scratches the floor but a lot of people like that's not necessarily true it seems like moonlight rollerway has sent a lot of people home like excuse them because they had these types of wheels when they came in but if you're a person of color you've been asked to leave but white influencers with these types of wheels have Uh not been and it's created a big controversy on reddit many people in the roller skating community agree that the black skaters helped keep roller skating alive with hip-hop and also you keep bringing up hip-hop and roller was that a big thing in I think skating? early on it was in, I, rem- I think like early on like the early days of hip-hop it was and then it's just sort of like embedded in it so I would no uh-huh. But if this is true, saying, <laughs> but let me get this straight: that the Run DMC boys would have liked me. If this ban is true, it, it seems really targeted and unfair. There's so many parts of this story that I don't of what you just told me about this controversy that I was completely unaware of. That yeah. there's other types of wheels, and that roller skating was a big part of early hip hop culture. <laughs> I like that your one of your confusion points is that there's different types of wheels. <laughs> it is weird, and if it's true, it would it could be a stream on what is seemingly a wonderful nostalgic spot in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's too bad. If I was part of this rollerway, I would try to get under these accusations and maybe address it a little bit and try to fix that. Well, it sounds it, like they have addressed it, but it's there's so many ways to be secretly racist about things. You're absolutely right, yeah. And to hide behind a rule that You can't might... wear big suits with chains coming out of the pocket. <laughs> Why? 
it scratches the doorway when you walk in. You're changing the temperature of the room when you wear that kind of thing. <laughs> well, look, well, that's the Moonlight Rollerway, and it's it you sounds know, like an interesting place. I'd like for them to address these controversies. I would also like that too, and a special mention of Skateland, the the now Skateland. gone Skateland in yes. Northridge, which closed during the, the pandemic. pandemic. They turned it into a homeless. It's going to be a homeless sound. Yeah, it's going to be homeless. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, okay, I looked it up. Thomas Edison did not kill an elephant. He merely filmed people killing an elephant, electrocuting an elephant, I believe, in 1903. The websites were very clear about, like, he didn't kill the elephant. The elephant's captors killed the elephant. The electricity killed yeah, the elephant. Yeah, exactly. The electricity the that electricity I was... provided by Nikola Tesla. <laughs> Known elephant hater. Thomas Edison's electricity would never kill it. It wouldn't even harm an elephant. <laughs> Watch. Oh, no. Number two found <laughs> yeah, that? This was just a demonstration. Yeah. They put an elephant in an electric chair. <laughs> Edison electricity can't even do this. <laughs> well, that was a convicted elephant. <laughs> yeah, when it, actually, when it electrocuted the elephant to death. Well, he had it coming. <laughs> okay, so let's uh, let's go on to the next old attraction that I've got for May you. May we? Thank you for being so polite. You I'm can now boy. pull up your pants again. I'm a good boy. Ladies and gentlemen, step right up. Do it. Ham it up. Ham it up. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, step right up. It's been so long since we've done an intro. I don't know how to read lines anymore. You don't. It's fun every time you have to try again. Yeah. I also didn't know how to read lines back then. You're not going to want to keep your heads in the sand for this one because the old attraction I've got for you is guaranteed to not lay a cartoonishly oversized egg. (laughs) That's right. We're talking ostrich farms. That would, this is what that was. That's your lead in. Yeah, heads in the sand, big eggs. What else? Oh, is, I what else? Is, the heads in the sand. Yeah. I thought you were just talking about. That's about. another joke that kind of went away. There's Swiss cheese yeah. and ostriches with heads in the sand. That's right. Those are like those are the two funniest things for me growing Since up. Since Dr. Seuss is dead, yeah, those references are gone now. Yeah. Dr. Seuss is dead. Long live Dr. Seuss. Women in pants inherits the earth. That was always the person to hold that back. That generation. Yeah. Of women Dr. Was Seuss. Dr. Seuss. Finally, Ted we can be. Who we are and who we are is who we be and whatever you would say. This is another topic that we passed by like ships in the night as part of other stories. Like it always came up. They they would come up in so many different things. Yeah. And we would always like, well, there was this and that. Well, that was there. And the ostrich farm. Yeah. But it's time we sat down and looked hard at the phrase ostrich farm yeah, 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 and that's yeah, the yeah. question we were always too afraid to ask do they grow from a bush is it come from a tree the ostrich farm do you plant an ostrich seed how do you grow an ostrich greg we don't talk like that anymore <laughs> the man's dead we're free now we we're don't have to now. rhyme all the time <laughs> well it all begins with the little lady who keeps moe and sean dunn in a pretty cabinet Marie Antoinette. That's another Queen song. I can't believe I, oh I like I said God. it jokingly. I think I bring up Queen in every single episode. I'm pretty now. sure you shouldn't have watched whatever the Queen movie was called, which is probably oh Bohemian Rhapsody. I was gonna say like it's probably just a dumb reference from Bohemian Rhapsody. It's literally called Bohemian Rhapsody. So Marie Antoinette, trendsetter, no head, influencer, no guillotine head. food. <laughs> say it now. <laughs> Speaking of Swiss cheese, her body was Swiss cheese after that guillotine. Uh, it yummy, cuts yummy. holes into you. Yeah, it cuts one hole into you. <laughs> so way back in the 1780s. 80s, she took a fancy to the large feathers of a crazy bird down in Africa called the ostrich, and she started wearing them as clothing. So, of course, all those people below her who loved eating cake or whatever took up the fashion as well, and ostrich feathers became a highly valued fashion material and clothing. Yeah, when she was alive, she had a head, though, right? No. She's a Hessian it from was- Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> She walked around with a pumpkin in her arm, but it was the biggest irony. They said, uh, off with her head. Guess what? Guess what? You're too late. My face is right if I could find it. (laughs) 
from the blood from <laughs> after they cut my face off. After they cut my head off, they sliced it in two. Cause one for the road. Yeah. Once the eating guys go and the crowd goes nuts and I'm what, one chop and we're done. Encore, encore. Cut my bread now. The biggest thing since sliced royalty. <laughs> so these ostrich feathers, they were used for boas and hats and muffs. You know, like they were just like that was just if you wanted to look good. Fashionable. Greg, it was Are you so a bird? <laughs> Are you a bird? If so, I'm attracted to you. <laughs> Did you grow those feathers yourself? Are you Are a bird? Are those natural? <laughs> they were so popular that by the 1880s, a hundred years later from Marie Antoinette, they were still the fourth most valuable export of South Africa behind gold, diamonds, and wool. Whoa, really? Yeah. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio movies was, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. a close Titanic, yeah. fifth. Yeah. Yeah, but in 18... I was I'll trying tell to, you what's departed her head. Go ahead. I'm trying to think of any other Leonardo DiCaprio movie, and I can't think of it. Wow, there's a lot of good ones out there. Yeah. The Revenant. Romeo and Marie Antoinette. Oh, Greg. God damn it, I'm good. Damn. Yeah, I edited out six hours of us <laughs> coming up with that. Okay, so fourth most valuable export in South Africa. But in 1883, a British guy named Charles Sketchley got the bright idea that if he could bring the ostriches out of Africa, which that wasn't a Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. movie, if he could bring them out of Africa and closest to the people throwing their life savings at these feathers, he could make a fortune just in the savings on the shipping costs of bringing these feathers to these extravagantly wealthy people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ostrich feathers were selling for up to $5 each, which is about $135 today oh, for God. one feather, which if you've seen an ostrich, that's like... That's a pretty rich ostrich right there. And a single ostrich could produce in today's money just under $7,000 a year worth of feathers. The possibilities here were too good to pass up. So Sketchly, who had been a manager of an ostrich farm in South Africa, decided to ship out some of his stock to a place in the United States that matched the climate of South Africa that the ostriches could survive in sunny South California. Yep, that's the same climate for sure. Oh, all those people who had tuberculosis went to South Africa. Remember that? They would have if it was easy to get to South Africa, <laughs> but no, it was a little bit easier to get to Pasadena back then. Do we? I honestly don't know. Do we have similar climates, or is that a joke? No. The, yeah, it's it's like apparently it is because they brought their ostriches here. Oh, okay, an ostrich doesn't lie. Like it's like a canary in a coal mine. It will die in the wrong climate. It's like a Doctor Seuss character. It literally doesn't lie. Okay, I can't remember. I can't even remember the elephant's name now. He would have been electric. Horton. Horton. Yeah, Horton. Horton hears electricity. Horton, <laughs> Horton, uh, was Horton hears an Edison. Horton hears the gates of heaven opening. <laughs> so he arrived on March twenty second, eighteen eighty three, with twenty two birds to Southern California. But apparently, nine out of every ten of the ostriches he brought died on the boat ride over, which means he left with two hundred twenty birds, and only twenty two of them survived. That's crazy. I just imagine like a bunch of ostriches floating in the Atlantic Ocean on the way. And over. a bunch of 19th century pirates being like, what? What do I do with this? Yeah, Did Noah's Ark sink? Is this a mermaid? <laughs> uh, but that was enough to make some inbred ostrich offspring. So Sketchly officially opened the United States' first ostrich farm near today's Buena Park. And it was called the California Ostrich Farming Company. Creative. Uh, he had a- The CEO, an ostrich. Accounting guy, the guy who runs books, ostrich. Secretary, ostrich. And what an ostrich. Mobo, made ostrich <laughs> by ostrich. No, Fobo. Fobo. Not, not Mobo. So close. You know what? Let's both take our pants off for this <laughs> one. This is how we both say, I'm sorry. <laughs> So we're like baboons now. <laughs> uh, we can mostly communicate through gestures of our buttocks. We're nine calendar years into the podcast. We mostly just communicate with, through bodily functions. Um, he had a few investors interested in the feather business that helped pay for his farm, including Gaylord Wilshire of Wilshire Boulevard. Oh, wow. But by October of that year, it became clear that people were obsessed with the idea of seeing an ostrich. 
Yeah. Is that why the Gaylord's called the Gaylord? Yeah. I, did you mean the Gaylord building or yes. the... The building, not okay. the... Not the slur, I guess. It's, it's like, more of a title. <laughs> but yeah, that's why it's called the, the Gaylord. Because his first name was Gaylord yeah. and it's almost uh, sure. Uh, you know, actually, I'm, I'm thinking back on it. It was actually not named that. It was named by Matt Zombo, my middle <laughs> school bully. Uh, he named that building. Yeah, so. he named it. He paid for the neon sign to yeah. go up. The full title used to be Daniel is a Gaylord, Gaylord. building. Get out of yeah. my way. Yeah. Yeah. The building used to be called Get Out of My Way Gaylord by industrials Matthew Zombo. Uh, anyway, we're not here to talk about my <laughs> trauma of my past. People just wanted to see an ostrich. Right. People kept driving out to his farm just to look at ostriches. Some people- Fly! <laughs> Fly, any day take now. flight. That's how we got them to keep coming. They'll fly any They'll day fly, now. Yeah. And when you see it, if they don't the fly, person. these penguins will. <laughs> Some people were trying to steal feathers, and sometimes people would bring their dogs. Which apparently, if an ostrich sees a dog, it would freak them out for hours. Well, freak them out enough to fly. <laughs> To jump out of their skin, yes, but fly, I don't know if you consider it that. But for the most part, people were just coming to gawk at ostriches. So Sketchly decided, I can make money off this. And he started charging admission to come see the birds. Pretty cool. People did that with chimps and it ended up really bad. But ostriches, it sounds pretty nice. Within six months, he had over 100 people coming every day to look at these big legged freaks. They were all paying 50 cents to do so. I'm, I'm making the face of a slack-jawed yokel staring at an ostrich who paid, what, 50 cents? Which was literally like yeah. $60 back then. Golly, oh, they don't get why? these in Santa Clarita. What's it wearing? Is that Marie Antoinette? <laughs> it was such a strange attraction that it got written about in the Chicago Daily Tribune, Scientific American again, and the New York Times, wow. who said an ostrich is apparently the most ill-tempered bird in existence. They never acquire a fondness for anyone. They are always at, on the lookout to kill kick someone and if the kick has the intended effect it is pretty sure to be fatal <laughs> front page ostriches, ostriches mean mean <laughs> extra extra who is this my mother-in-law what is this swiss cheese <laughs> i better put my head in the sand while this blows over it was still the best reviews we've ever gotten yep. uh, but this farm was so far away in yep. buena park come on people don't even want to drive to buena park for a Knott's berry farm and they have old jellies for sale literally there are peanuts there charles schultz properties there and i'm like uh, i could go where? there right now and meet woodstock and i don't what freeway oh it's the five freeway oh, i don't know no, it. i don't, I don't know it. it i don't know it but that ends in long beach it's only like 30 minutes away oh no uh, i don't have my passport no i don't have- sketchily got lured closer to where the people were living all the way to some land by the river by an old lunatic of ours griffith j griffith i do remember in our griffith j griffith episode how hilarious it was that there was an ostrich yeah. farm and we you were so told naive. me that we would never talk about it again. Did people ride ostriches? Or we'll is that just that. in Star Wars? We'll get to that. <laughs> no, that's a tauntaun. Those were tauntauns, but also wait till you smell them on the inside. Queen Amidala would wear tauntaun feathers. <laughs> Until they chopped off her hands, which was the equivalent <laughs> of what happened. So Sketchly moved his farm onto the land we now know as Griffith Park in the Crystal Springs area okay. in 1885. I know that area now. This, of course, was just a on Griffith's part to get people to come visit and buy the cursed land he owned and couldn't get rid of. So to help with that, they built the Ostrich Farm Railway, which took eager ostrich fanatics from Sunset and Beaudry up to Griffith Park five times a day. And apparently it also stretched upward to Verdugo and Flower and Burbank at one point. So people were 
were coming from the north, and wow. they're all coming to see these ostriches. But they didn't just offer ostriches on display here. They had other exotic birds that could fly. They had monkeys, badgers, and raccoons. Uh, they even had a bar and a dance floor where you could dance with ostriches. You're kidding. They did. You I idiot. am kidding. They, uh, you didn't, but they did have a dance floor, and I look like an ostrich when I dance. Yeah. So I, got <laughs> I look like an ostrich trying to take flight when I dance. My big move is head in the sand. <laughs> What's the appeal? Like, I love raccoons. What's the, like, I got raccoons. Like, you could just see a raccoon anywhere. Just, like, throw trash on the ground. Well, they dressed the raccoons up in ostrich feathers, so you would never seen a raccoon like this. <laughs> they were little Buster Browns and a little yeah. newsboy cap. The raccoons took the tickets, I forgot to mention. <laughs> I forgot to mention they were working there. <laughs> uh, so, as we know, Griffith was having a lot of problems around this time, and I believe when we talked about the curse of Griffith Park, I said that ostriches were stampeding there at night, so now that makes sense. <laughs> but this place only lasted until 1889. Part of the ostrich rail line, though, did eventually become the railway that linked LA to Santa Monica, and part of its route also became the basis of Sunset Boulevard. Wow, okay. Supposedly, Sketchily went on to open another ostrich farm in Red Bluff after this and went broke, and Griffith J. Griffith, need I remind you, thought the Pope was trying to kill him and shot his wife in the face. That's right. So that's how that ostrich farm ended. But this wasn't the only farm in town. <laughs> and why were there so many feathers at the crime scene? <laughs> they certainly can't fly, but they can murder. <laughs> I think that the Pope is an ostrich. Hear me out. I know how to get all that sound. money. Yeah. <laughs> if you unzip that white robe of his, what are we going to see under there? You know, every time there's an accusation about the Catholic Church, the Pope puts his head in the sand. Think about it. <laughs> a matter of fact, most of the people of the church put their head in the sand. <laughs> ostrich cult in Italy? Mama. Mia. <laughs> they don't make controversy like this in the new country. Oh, wait, they do? So they were too much fun for people for there to be only one. This wasn't the only... I'm not talking about the... <laughs> we're not talking about the church anymore. We're talking about ostrich, ostrich farms again. Farm. So there were a lot of ostrich farms in right. town. There was one in Santa Monica. There was the Wilshire Ostrich Farm at Grand and 12th downtown. There was Ostrich Park Farm in Glendale. Imagine being like, let's go to the good ostrich farm. Yeah. Let's go to the good Those one. Those ostriches... They don't fly. I, I hear that they fly at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, hear, I hear they take flight. There was also the L.A. Ostrich Farm at 3609 Mission Road in East L.A., a.k.a. the Luna Park Ostrich Farm, which opened in 1906 by Francis Ernest, who sounds like the good guy to the villain that Charles Sketchley sounds like he should be. <laughs> might be the same person. It might be Spy versus Spy. They just keep pointing bigger ostriches <laughs> at each other. This one was notable for two things. One was that it was next door to the California Alligator Farm, which sounds oh, like a really right. bad idea. Yeah, 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 and yeah. two, that Ernest, Ernest opens an ostrich farm, <laughs> used to be a cook for miners, not, not, not children. Like, yeah, not children. Not little kids working in the mines. Yeah, well, miners. So you could, act, at his park, you could eat the ostriches, which sounds like a bad business model. If, That's a very, that doesn't sustain itself. No. Is it like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre setup where? Yeah, you go there and, and there's a guy wearing an ostrich, ostrich skin, skin on his face. Yeah. He has a, what they call a ostrich saw. <laughs> And He's he, wearing a dress made of ostrich yeah. skin because he wants and to be an looks ostrich. Beautiful, and he grabs you by the shoulders and takes you inside, and he slams the door down so you have a good time, and, and no one can see. You no eating. idea what happens behind that ostrich door. You're like, well, anything could be back there. In 1910, there were 10 ostrich farms in the LA area. Okay. In 1914, Moses Sherman and Harry Chandler tried to cash in on the trend, so they bought 500 ostriches for their Tejon Ranch, but mm -hmm. they caused so much havoc that they ended up selling them all to a car 
carnival in 1923. Oh, the legitimacy of Harry Chandler. Oh, what a good man he was. Oh, legitimate. Build this man a statue where he's selling 500 ostriches to a carny. And the carny is like sharpening his knives as he's buying them. But none of them, none of these ostrich farms were bigger than the Cowston Ostrich Farm. Not C-O-W, not like the Holy Milk. C-A-W-S-T-O-N, the Cowston Ostrich Farm. Okay. It started with a man named Edwin Cowston, who, just like the guy from my last story, was a rich little boy. He was born in Cobham, England, and was so rich... How rich was Edward Cowston? That he lived... Uh, he lived. That he lived. What and man is richer than the one who lives? <laughs> like he lived one of those 1800s British novel lifestyles where he just traveled around the British Empire looking for ventures to invest his money in so that he could taffy. make more money. I want lollipops and taffy. Please, Dutties, I would like to buy this gold mine <laughs> so that I can hire little boys like me to work in it. We shan't be friends, Daddy. I have bought your shares of my gold mine and I am now marrying mummy. Um, in 1884, he read a story about the British ostrich farm trade going on in South Africa. So he decided, I will buy South Africa. Uh, have we invaded that country? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll just, uh, I'll just start I'll just, a business. I'll just there. start a business. Uh, yeah, I'll start a business there. Um, in 1886, he made his rich British way down there and bought a bunch of ostriches uh-huh. and with the intention of starting his own farm to cash in on the feather trade in the perfect place outside of South Africa that had the right environment for ostriches as proven by other farms already in town, yep. Southern California. Southern he was going to do the same thing as Sketchly. But by this point, maybe it was the popularity of Sketchley's farm reached the ears of the South African government, but the country was on the verge of imposing a new tax on ostriches and ostrich-related paraphernalia being taken out of the country so that they could maintain their monopoly on the ostrich feather trade. Like This was a big part of their economy. It was going to be a fee of $500 per bird and $25 per egg, which in today's dollars is about $15,000 per bird and $700 an egg in taxes you'd have to pay to take them out of the country. Man, I wish they could fly. Okay. If only there was a way they could get out <laughs> get on Get off their own. the ground and fly to me. I'll lure them with these pretty feathers. <laughs> I'll wear this boa and they'll want to know who I They'll want to the mate is. with me. Who's that person? So Kausten did the honorable and sensible British thing and immediately smuggled 52 ostriches out of the country. Supposedly, he left on the eve of the new law taking effect, but I can't confirm that. But what he did do was have a boat specifically fitted for transporting ostriches. Really high roofs. Really high roofs. It's called the ostrich It had like the Titanic smokestacks, but it was 52 of them. (laughs) Each of their necks were through it and a head on top. This meant that the walls were padded and gravel was put all over the floor because ostriches don't have teeth to chew their food. So they eat gravel. So it grinds things up in their stomachs. That's how ostriches eat. Okay. Ostriches, might I add, seem to be insane. Like they're violent, they're mean, and they're weird. Like, worst of all, they're weird. They're weird. They seem unpredictable. I mean, they're like the leftover dinosaurs. People always refer to them. They're like goofy dinosaurs. They're goofy dinosaurs, yeah. Uh, So he put the no in Noah's Ark and got on on this boat for the 68-day journey to Galveston, Texas. Just him, the crew, and 52 gravel-guzzling ostriches. These are my children. But as we've already learned, boat rides are not good for ostriches. So nine of them died on the boat ride. Three of them got mortal injuries. And then two more died when they got to Texas. While they were at sea, an ostrich named Murphy got loose and he ate so many potatoes that it killed him. 
Like that, this is what ostriches do. I'm warning people about ostriches. They will just eat whatever and attack whoever. And this one got loose, saw potatoes, and just kept eating potatoes until he died. Are you relating The dream, obviously. (laughs) Were they tater or shoestring is what I want to know. Mashed, baked, literally. Put them in a stew. You're looking in your future. The the ostrich's name was Daniel Zafrin. This is a sign that I shouldn't take that cruise to Galveston, (laughs) Texas this this winter. He ate so many potatoes, he got COVID. From there, he gave the potatoes COVID. We don't even know <laughs> how how did that happen. There was a new variant. <laughs> From there, in Galveston, Texas, Cowston and the remaining ostriches got on a train for Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which also, like, I would love to have seen this journey. Yeah. And by the time they arrived, my band. By the time they arrived there, there were only eighteen surviving oh ostriches. God. Think about every ostrich that dies is like fifteen thousand dollars down the hole. Yeah, and I know. Everyone dies. You're like my money. Like, and then like he comes to turn with it. Well, okay. And then he just pushes it off of a moving train in the middle of New Mexico. But 18 ostriches... That's good enough to reproduce. He soon arrived to his new farm, which was 20 acres of land in Norwalk. And just like Sketchley's, this farm was meant specifically for breeding ostriches for their feathers, but it too became an immediate hit with the public. This one even more so because it was along the Pacific Electric Red Line route, so it made it really easy to get to. Also, there wasn't like a Griffith made a train specifically for this. Like this is like this This is is a pre-existing pre-existing city train that also happens to stop by the freak birds. Yeah. Maybe if I curse at it enough, it'll yell at me. <laughs> and the birds did try to eat the trains. <laughs> As with everything I've talked about today, apparently, it got written about in Scientific American, and that just made it even more popular. So in February 1887, he decided to try out another location of his ostrich attraction, but this one not as a farm, but specifically just a showcase for ostriches. And also closer to town, so he and Charles Fox opened the Washington Gardens Ostrich Farm and Zoological Gardens at Washington Gardens, which is way too many times to say Gardens. In Garden Grove? Or Bell Garden? <laughs> I was wondering, like, what's Washington Gardens? Apparently is just another name for Shoots Park, was Washington oh, yeah. Gardens. Washington Park, yeah, so I remember that. it was in this proto- theme park. Uh, So on February 2nd, he brought 21 of his ostriches there and the whole place burned down a month later. Oh my God, was it made of wood? <laughs> was it a bike made of wood? It was the oldest scam in the book. <laughs> you think you're buying ostriches from some South African prince? They're made of wood. Fire purifies fowl. Uh, <laughs> no man or ostrich was hurt, but the place was completely destroyed. So they rebuilt it, but it wasn't even really worth it because strangely, this location was not very popular. But even weirder, people were still eager to come to his Norwalk farm. Like they didn't want to go to this thing. Central they wanted one. to see the farm. So they did didn't like it downtown, but they loved it there. And Kauston realized that when it came to ostriches, people just didn't want a zoo, which is what Washington Gardens, his yeah, foray yeah, yeah. there was. What they wanted was to see the entire process of how the ostrich industry worked. Oh, like wow. That's what people were interested in. They wanted the Moby Dick, but of ostriches. It was sort of a combination of the business aspect of Norwalk with the showiness of Washington Gardens. But as we all do, he had bigger dreams than Norwalk could provide. But where to put this new ostrich Jurassic Park? Well, in April, April 1889, he married a woman named Mary Routh, who ended up getting tuberculosis. And as is required by LA law, the place she went to recover was Pasadena. Aha. In April 1894, sadly, Mary died of tuberculosis, but they had a kid and Mary had an older sister. So to make things easier, Cowston just married her sister, Fanny. 
eight months later. I'm going to make this easier. Yeah, you basically are her mom. Yeah. <laughs> Aunt mom, it's one little step. So they got married, but then Fanny died in 1899 and there were no more sisters to marry. So he just married someone who wasn't related named Edith Thorne in 1901. Pretty hard back then for a British person to not marry a sibling. Yeah, typically it's their own siblings. But <laughs> but during this whole incestuous ordeal, he had discovered the city of Pasadena. And when he started thinking of where to put this new mega ostrich amusement park, he was planning, he thought, this would be the perfect place. So the year's 1895 and the Cowston Ostrich Farm opened for business at around the 100 block of Pasadena Avenue on the east side of the Arroyo Seco again okay. in South Pasadena. They were open nine to dusk every day and this place was like Disneyland for people who loved ostriches. Right. Like you, the flightlessest place on earth. Nailed it. It was a huge, beautifully designed park with tropical birds and ponds full of fish. But of course, the main event was the ostriches. And at this location, you could see them from the egg to the plume, as they advertised. You'd see the incubation rooms full of the eggs. You'd see the babies. Well, oh, this is really Jurassic Park. It was Jurassic Park. like yeah. it, it, Even with the dinosaurs. You'd see the babies. You'd see the adults in corrals with backdrops behind them to make it look like they were in Egypt or the non-Egypt desert. There were special corrals just for mating ostriches for the perverts Whoa. to go watch. It seems like anybody could hear them in the park or the surrounding area, really, when they were mating because they scream like lions when they do oh, that. Oh, cool. Okay, that's yeah. comforting. Oh, that's what those noises were. Right. I was worried it was lions mating. <laughs> to my relief, it was just ostriches was ostr- mating, <laughs> making more miserable birds that I have to live around. That at any moment could get loose yeah. and just terrorize the city. Mm-hmm. There were ostriches with names like Maggie and Jigs and then others named after famous people like Grover Cleveland, George and Martha Washington, Anthony and Cleopatra, and of course, William McKinley. Oh my God. Kate Mostrich. Elizabeth Mostrich. <laughs> there were feedings where they'd throw them whole oranges that they'd swallow whole. Whoa. And they you could watch you watched it go down their necks like a Looney Tune. Like That's, when they that would happen in yeah. cartoons. <laughs> that would like yeah, go, it yeah. would actually happen to Love an ostrich. Because they don't have teeth. Let's hit him with a frying pan if see if that's real too. If it eats my son, will I see a little boy shape <laughs> going around? So here's the thing: ostriches will eat whatever they see, so people were warned to not have certain things on them. And to stay sharp when they were near the birds, but still things were How? things were eaten off of guests all the time in yeah. the park. Hats, a lady's purse, an old oh. shoe, a oh rolled up newspaper, a gimlet, and a lit cigar. Like they wow. would just like pluck it. They would just eat it. My like, war bonds. <laughs> my fiance. <laughs> Anything you got near an ostrich, That's it'll crazy. it'll it will and still will and try still, to eat. Uh, game that continues to this day. The, their most endearing quality has been passed down generation <laughs> to generation. There was a Japanese tea room in there, uh, which they would eat the tea. Uh, There were ostrich-drawn carriage rides, so you could kind of ride an ostrich. Some of the handlers would ride the ostriches around bareback, though, for people's entertainment. Okay, But a real sight to see was the feather plucking process. It was advertised as ostrich plucking, exciting, perilous, wonderful, 60 birds plucked. Perilous, you say, Greg? Oh, no. If you try to pluck a feather off of an ostrich, which this is also a Dr. Seuss story, they're going to try to kick you. And if they hit you, you'll probably die a humiliating death. Like they're very powerful animals. Right, right. Anything that kicks probably can kick. Yeah, they can. If your main self defense is kicking, you're going to kick hard. You're going to kick hard. But the thing is, ostriches only kick at things that they can see. So to get around this while plucking feathers, they would basically put put, sunglasses on. 
They would basically put a full head sock hood over them that made them look like they were captured by ISIS. Like it went completely over their heads and down most of their necks. So it just looked like giant sock puppets. Oh my God. And this sock puppet is mad. <laughs> and the handlers would clip off their feathers while they... Yeah. The, the, the pictures are hilarious when you look at these things. But Kausten went to great lengths to assure people that this whole process was humane. He pointed out to anybody who asked that the feathers weren't actually plucked out of their skin, but rather trimmed to a point that it was usable, but also able to grow back and wouldn't harm the bird. Okay. He even went so far as to get a special certification from the Audubon Society saying that his methods didn't hurt the birds. Okay. The Audubon Society? Not the German Audubon. The Audubon. 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 The bird play. The the bird bird people. Okay. But he did also get certified by the German Audubon. (laughs) To ride an ostrich as fast as he wants to. (laughs) This ostrich can go 88 miles per hour. (laughs) It can't fly, but it can run, Greg. Well, we're going, we don't need to fly. We can just run really fast. When we're going, we do need roads. (laughs) So you'd see the plucking, the grading, the curling, the dyeing of the feathers done by award-winning feather dyers from Germany. Wow. Home of the Autobahn. Yeah, home of the Autobahn. It was an operation. Like this was a create, like a- This is like Tiger King. Oh, uh, this was a little classier. This is legitimate. This is like, quick, this is like Arizona. You'd see the sorting of all these valuable feathers and this whole tour of the of the feather process would culminate in a display room with over $50,000 worth of ostrich feather merchandise, which in today's dollars is about $1.5 million just worth of boas and Marie Antoinette. Yeah. <laughs> boas and other uh, bo- boas. boas uh, uh, scarves. Uh, uh, boas. Uh, feather boas. It was a great place for visitors, but it was also a functioning ostrich feather harvesting facility. Right. Like it was a business and he still had the Norwalk farm going at the same time as a breeding ground. It's kind of the Isla Sorna to the big attractions Isla Nublar. But eventually he moved them to a much larger breeding farm in San Jacinto in 1909. And according to one thing I read at their height of this place between the breeding farm and the main attraction, they had over 11,000 ostriches. Oh my God, you know how much money? I'm doing money thing with my hands. This was the a finger thing means the taxes. I would do the math, but it's unmatched. It's unmathable. The number so high, it's unmathable. The last of the original birds he brought from Africa died in 1899, but there were generations and generations of birds now. Yeah, he had a military funeral. A military though. funeral where he pushed it off of a moving train. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your service and making me very rich. <laughs> like immediately a bunch of coyotes come <laughs> in. A king's burial. Just like Marie Antoinette. That's what they did with her. That was great for tourism, but that was also great for the original tent of these things. Clothing and merchandise made from ostrich feathers. There were, of course, gift shops in the park, but he also had several stores around town selling things made out of authentic Cowston ostrich feathers. There were a few downtown, but also he had in San Francisco, Chicago, and New York City with his business card, New York City, with his business cards promoting nothing in ostrich is impossible for us. Then make me an ostrich tuxedo. (laughs) I want an ostrich jazz suit. That's what I want. (laughs) I want to combine everything that's out of date and wear a zoot suit made out of ostrich feathers. Chop, chop. And also, the chain can be the spine. <laughs> but the real secret to his success was his mail order business, which he sent out flyers to basically everybody in the country, it yeah. sounded like. He did so much mail order business that he claimed to get more mail than anybody in California. Just people saying, send me stuff. Send from me Cal- an from- ostrich. Give me ostrich feathers. <laughs> I will provide, if elected, ostrich feathers to everybody in this country. And people bought his stuff because they knew his name. And they knew his name because of how good he was at publicity. To start, yeah. He paid you know for who else was. 
You know who else is good at publicity? Who? An Tiger, ostrich? Tiger King. <laughs> no man knows business more than the Tiger King. <laughs> Whatever his name was, I forgot because it was a dumb fad. <laughs> Joe Tigerton or something. To start, he paid for a lot of ads, like a lot of ads. Yeah. By 1904, he had spent today's equivalent of $2 million on ads for his ostrich farm. He got articles written about the place in Sunset Magazine, Ladies Home Journal, the Saturday Evening Post, Collier's, Harper's Weekly, and the New York Times, who called it one of the strangest sites in America. Hell yeah. The first ever map product put out by the Auto Club in 1910 was for the Cowston Ostrich Farm. It was like, here's how you get to the Cowston Ostrich Farm. Right. Drive in your automobile. <laughs> and like I had mentioned, the Velo Way was going to stop at. So you would have been able to ride a bike, ride a bike to see straight, ostriches. and the ostriches would have eaten your bike while you weren't looking. As uh, soon as you put the kickstand on it, it would have been eaten, and you would have got a unicycle. You would have had to unicycle your way home, and you can't do that in pants when you're a woman. Uh, you're gonna wish you had a skirt. He's uh, women these days. You're women these days, don't you know? You need to kick your legs wildly. You can't do that in pants. Not in those era pants, anyways. Uh, with their Ghostbusters movies, um, he even used his self-proclaimed humane treatment of the animals as a selling point to favor his feathers over his competitors. Like, these are the humane ostrich feathers. When I throw the socks over the feathers' heads, they're the nicest socks. <laughs> it's humane because the handlers don't get kicked when we cut all their feathers off. When we inject them the ha with heroin and we take it out, we send them right to rehab. But for them, it's feather -win. He also had been smart about his location because it was, like I said, the, along the Pasadena Veloway, but more importantly, it was along the same train route that went to the very popular Raymond Hotel in Pasadena. Oh, right. And and then even further up to the very popular Mount Low. It was along that. It was like oh, part okay. of the attraction route. They yeah. even had a special telescope up on Mount Low that would look permanently directed at the Cowston Ostrich Farm for you people to You stand there at. all the way up that giant mountain and be like, those birds are weird, aren't they? Aren't they, Mary? Say they are. The first ostrich ever learned how to fly and flew up there and ate that telescope. <laughs> <laughs> and bit that guy's hand. Trains would pass by the place every 15 minutes and he made a special deal with the company, with the train company for a 25 cent round trip to his farm that included admission. So it couldn't be easier. Like he he also had gimmicks like in 1901 he brought a guy named Aubrey Aeneas over to test out what ended up being the world's first commercial solar powered motor in 1901. It was an apparatus made out of 1788 mirrors that reflected the sun to boil water that would power Whoa. an engine to pump water from the well on the farm. Solar energy. Yeah. Uh, and then um the gas company killed him. The, yeah. They fed him to an ostrich. And then Thomas Edison took it and used it to electrocute an elephant. And then the ostriches ate the elephant because no evidence. Ostrich eats man. <laughs> Thomas Edison inherits the earth. Thomas Edison wears pants. Electrocutes God. <laughs> Thomas Edison straps God in the electric <laughs> chair and solar energy is killed by big business. <laughs> Greenhouse gases inherit the earth. Uh, and the place was also inextricably linked with the city around it. It was in the area's best interest that this place did well. So it got caught up in the whole booster machine to right. entice more people people to come move to LA. Our air is nice. There's ostrich. There's weird birds over here. <laughs> the smell of ostrich in the air. The ocean. You can be a movie star. The birds, they keep getting closer to me every time I describe stuff. <laughs> I think I used to be wearing coattails. <laughs> in particular, they were trying to get people, it was bringing people to South Pasadena. Right. It was the gem of South Pasadena and it put them on the map so much so that in 1903, there was a movement to rename South Pasadena to distance themselves from Big Pasadena. Right. But Cowston's livelihood depended on the name recognition he had linked his business to with the name South Pasadena. So he threatened to move his farm to another area. So the name South Pasadena Damn. stuck thanks to Cowston. Like that's how important this place was to South Pasadena. That it could have been called like, the could have been called Ostrich. Ostrich. Austria. 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 
Austria are Hungary. He also gave a lot of money to get the York Boulevard Bridge built, which conveniently enough brought traffic literally to the farm's front doorstep. Look at that. Literally after he moved the main entrance to face Pasadena Avenue to accommodate the new traffic. So you could drive Ridiculous. right up to it. One time he was going to have a parade of ostriches, but a Methodist farmer misunderstood what that meant and I guess thought it was slang for something and had him arrested. <laughs> that story didn't fit in anywhere, but it had to be told. You're going to have a parade of what? Yeah, long necks. There's going to be a lot of long necks coming <laughs> in here, pal. we're going to pluck them. <laughs> we're going to blind them and then we're going to pluck them. Kausten marketed his place as the original home of the ostrich in America, which wasn't true. But what was true was that it was the best known and most profitable ostrich farm in the country. But as the ostrich sheds its feather, or rather has its feather plucked with a burlap sack over its head, so passes the time of ostrich feathers being fashionable. That fad had a burlap sack thrown over its head. Yeah, and, and it got, got plucked, plucked yeah. and uh, reshapen into uh, roller skates. <laughs> in the 1910s, after over a hundred years of being fashionable, the ostrich feather started going the way of the dinosaur uh, and turned into an ostrich. It, yeah. Part of that was because of World War the one where we couldn't afford ostrich feathers anymore, right. or any fancy fashion for that matter. There was also an unforeseen killer of this style the automobile, Greg. Cars started appearing and they traveled faster than people were used to moving and that would make feathers fly out of feather boas. So it was no longer like you're, I'm losing hundreds of dollars on this car ride. It just wasn't practical to wear ostrich feathers anymore. So that's part of what brought down people liking to wear ostriches. That's crazy. That's really weird. But before- Cars can only go like 20 miles an hour. The speed at which feathers fly. That's it. Your car should take flight because it's got so much feathers in it but instead you just lost 20 grand the secret to flying cars was right in front of us put ostrich feathers ostrich ostriches feathers. can't fly but a car with ostrich feathers on yeah now you're flying but before the downfall could really set in Kausten just kind of lost interest in the ostrich business and in la in general he was a weary british expat who just wanted to go home and he wasn't even old like he was in his 40s oh wow he, he was in it well i mean for some people that's old uh you're <laughs> depends near, on, you're uh, depends how much you really late <laughs> so he was in his 40s in 1911 when he sold the farm to a group of LA bankers for today's equivalent of over $36 million. And he returned home to Cobham, England, but he never forgot his past being listed on the English census as a retired California ostrich farmer, a title we all dream to retire with. Oh God. Uh, He died June 29th, 1920 at the age of 54 of heart disease, to which I say he should have been eating more of those ostriches. That's some lean meat. But heart disease came to all the city's ostrich farms eventually. Cowston's ostrich farm closed in 1935. There's a plaque in the area now and it also shows up on Google Maps, which is weird. Oh, weird. And they also... Also, if you do a Google Street View, there's a bunch of ostriches there, but if you drive, they're not there. It's kind of weird. uh, Yeah, that place is haunted by ghost ostriches. Ostriches. (laughs) And they sold all their ostriches to the California Zoological Gardens in Lincoln Heights, which I believe is just yet another name for the LA Ostrich Farm, which is the place where they ate ostriches. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, They were the last remaining ostrich farm in LA L.A. Ostrich Farm was when they closed in 1953, and that was the end of L.A. Ostrich Farms. But the legacy lives on as people believe most of the country's ostriches today trace back to these original L.A. farms, which is why if you look really closely into the eyes of a modern ostrich, you can still see a faint reflection of a surfboard and sunglasses before they kick you in the nards. (laughs) And And just beyond that, a velociraptor. Clever birds. (laughs) And then they kick you in the nards. (laughs) 
first and then they eat your baseball cap. So those were our those are a few old attractions. We've got a listener question now before we go. Okay. Uh, this is from our old friend Chriselle Jeffrey. Hi, Some Chriselle. might know her as Chrishell Jeffrey. Some I know I don't. I would never mispronounce her name like that. You never mispronounce names. Uh, she says, I just got a semi-remote job that requires me to commute to Glendora twice a week, which as you will know from sending me postcards, mm-hmm. she's a Patreon person, uh, is a very long drive. It's typically about a 90-minute trip each way. That aside, this feels like a good opportunity to get to know the city better. What advice do you have for becoming better acquainted with an area of the city when the basis of that relationship is almost entirely commute and work related? I I had to think about this one for a while. I like taking long walks just around residential neighborhoods and getting used to like the streets and what leads where. You're saying just like pull over and walk around? Oh, I thought you meant like because you're living in Glendora, how do you get used to living in Glendora? No, she's not living in Glendora. She commutes to Glendora. Oh, okay. I misunderstood. So what's the question asking then? When you're, when basically, how do you? So you don't know Either, how do I'm you wrong? How do you, you don't know if if you only work in a part of town and you're just you drive there, go to work and go home? How do you get to know that part of town? The or place really, where you work? Yeah, you know what? I guess I am also a little confused by this, but yes, you are the dumb one. Take off your pants. I took it to mean like that area, but also just like the parts of the city you're constantly driving past. How do you get to know it? I mean, I'm somebody who likes to take the streets a lot. In between, this is true. When I was learning how to drive, I would leave Echo Park and then take like basically, basically I would take Sherman Way through the valley and I got really used to the valley and got tired of Sherman Way. So I started taking every avenue through the valley to get to it. And then I I learned that you can take Topanga Canyon. So I drive to Santa Monica. Gas was a lot cheaper back then. Yeah, I was find any way I could get to my mom's house in the Northridge and I became so acquainted with every way to get around. Um, and I would stop anytime I saw something I liked. I, I didn't have to be anywhere usually so I would stop and I would check it out and I'd find out what, what the hot dogs are the worst in the city because I only bought bad hot dogs. I, it's okay. a little bit different now but I, I, I think yeah. like having a sense of adventure and really wanting to dig into stuff. You know, for misunderstanding the question, I say that's a very good answer. Yeah, I'm a cool guy. Yeah, I will uh, retract any further beatings I will give you for the rest of the night. Mine, because I was thinking more specifically of, because when I'm driving on the freeway or, or anywhere, like if it's a trip from my home to a place I'm not usually at and in that in between I'm in a area areas where I don't normally spend time yeah. roadside billboards and just like signs you can see from the freeway mm-hmm. from off the freeway like they're there for a reason because they work like first there are comforting things like I'll see along a road to reassure me how along on the journey I am you know like if I see like if I'm coming home from Orange County or something come you know when I'm running away from Orange County there's arrows just darting past <laughs> me. I'm just eyes closed running with ostrich it. feathers. <laughs> on when I see like the Citadel or something right. like that, I'll know like, oh, okay, I'm like halfway home. But it's still comforting to see that. And I know what the Citadel looks like because I we had family friends who lived down in Orange County and we would pass by that a lot. But also like if you see some of those signs for like a restaurant or a store enough mm-hmm. times, like eventually you're going to want to check it out. So I say pull off the road and see these places while the, uh, and just wait for the traffic to die down, which yeah. is never. And then maybe from there you'll see like, oh, what's that place with an eye shot? I want to see that. And then you want to check out and pretty soon you see these things mm-hmm. and you know a neighborhood. That's my Absolutely. sort of answer to that. Free time is hard to come by. Especially when you are sick of commuting, you don't yeah. want to add more time to your commute. Exactly. So it's kind of hard. 
I like to take time out. I like to go on walks in different neighborhoods and kind of get it. a feel for it. Yeah, you do it too. You rollerblade though, so you don't really get a good sense of what's what. Actually, I feel like I get a better sense because I'm one with the I'm, road when I do that. I'm literally moving so fast. I'm taking more. I'm more data is being computed. Yeah, at a I just I, I dilate my pupils and I just go really <laughs> fast out of neighborhood. But yeah, walks through neighborhoods where I where I don't live. I would be like, oh, that's a nice house, and I would just walk around yeah. Hancock. Park. I just walk right onto their front yard. This is a good way to get onto nextdoor.com. Right, also. right, right. If you ever watch Halloween and you see Michael Myers, you're like, <laughs> he's getting a really good feel for Haddonfield. <laughs> he knows South Pasadena. He really knows which house is which and which window is which. Now that's who? a man who gets a lot of exercise. <laughs> but yeah, so those are those are our answers to that. Yeah. Um, and hey, if you want to exercise your right to support this podcast, you can leave us a review. We like to normally say on Apple Podcasts, yes. but really anywhere you listen to this podcast, Spotify, whatever, just YouTube. leave us a review. Really, yeah, don't leave us any comments on YouTube because those are only hurtful. <laughs> leave us a review wherever you can, as long as it's not YouTube. <laughs> it really helps us. It gets us more noticed. It keeps. Yeah. It gets us more listeners to help us keep going. And speaking of keeping us going, you can support us on Patreon right. for as little as five dollars a month. We will send you a handwritten postcard every month from a place in Los Angeles, and we'll say your name at the beginning of the episode. And you better be named Greg Zaffer. There better be a Greg, Greg Zaffer. That is our challenge for next month. I bet we won't like him. Daniel Gonzalez will like, but Greg Zaffron we will not like. Oh, okay. So you're taking family sides again. They're so rare. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're so special. <laughs> that's why everyone loves us is because we're so rare. Uh, you can give us less money than that. It still supports us. And I got some really good postcards this month and I'm really excited to send them out. I found a graphic designer that I really like and she did. She does these prints and she turns them into postcards and they're all LA spots. Uh, well, I'm a pretty good graphic designer myself and I make my own. You can also... What's wrong with that bird? <laughs> Why can't that bird fly <laughs> like the ones I eat? Cut that lady's head off. I'm talking about pigeons. That lady say cake? I think we should cut her head off. Uh, you can also visit our website, lameeklypodcast.com. We've, wonderfully designed website by my girlfriend, Ada Ruiz. We've got, uh, and wonderfully segmented um, by Daniel Zaffron. Ruiz. Uh, you can see all the segments of every episode and full episodes uh, and some video content. Also, you can see the calendar and we still have shirts for sale. You can uh, message us through there to yep. buy them. This city has a long history of weird stuff. Old timey, old fashioned, and we're going to continue making old stuff. And, and stuff think, that will one day be old. Yeah. Like this podcast might be an old oddity yeah. that a hundred years from now, people are like, why did they do that? Yeah. How oh. are we going to listen to this? Uh, some might say that a lot of the jokes on this show are old as old well. Old fashioned. So no, out of date, no, offensive to offensive many. Offensive to many. And uh, hey, have a good uh, start to 2022. Stay safe because I don't know. Already off to a bad start. Not going to be a good year. Now we had to go to the Portuguese album. <laughs> about to start naming variants. So yeah, uh, enjoy January and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks for a music episode. And thanks for listening. That's been yet another episode of LA Meekly. We're in pants since 2013. See you in the funny pages. Thomas Edison killed an elephant. (laughs) 